RadioInfluence.com. Yes, black conservatives do exist is the topic we'll proclaim loud and long in this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. The Democratic Party doesn't want us to know this, and they go to great lengths seeking to destroy the character, and in some cases the lives, of blacks who see the light and exit their Marxist communist plantation. So there's a price to pay, quite often a very stiff one, for being black and a conservative. But that didn't stop guests, former police officer, Blexit co-founder, Brandon Tatum, minister, political activist, the Reverend C.L. Bryant, a senior fellow at Freedom Works, political activist, speaker, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver, a Black Voices for Trump advisory board member, and entrepreneur speaker Kevin McGarry, co-founder, president of Every Black Life Matters. This podcast is available on RadioInfluence.com or your favorite podcast platform. A great way to show your support is by subscribing to this podcast, give it a rating, and leave a review. And be sure to tell your friends about the broadcast. Okay, I was guilty. The majority of black people I know or have ever heard of were guilty too. Yes, I grew up drinking the Democratic Party Kool-Aid. Didn't know better. That's all family and friends around me knew. In churches with predominantly black congregations, forget about it. And I'm going way, way, way back into the 1960s. I wasn't politically involved at all back then as music and sports were on my radar. But I went along with most liberal ideas and considered myself a quote-unquote brother supporting black causes and policies that seemingly aided, in parenthesis, us. Why? Again, because that's all I knew. My perspective changed in 1997 after I became born again a follower of Jesus. My political association changed very quickly to reflect my new birth. I became a conservative who believes in small government, free enterprise, family values, and Bible-based morality. That's who I became, and that's who I remain. The response? My newfound brothers and sisters in Christ welcomed me into the family with open arms. The liberal blacks I knew, for the most part, They called me a few names and then faded out of my life. Sadly, for several of my guests, the reaction from family, friends, and blacks in general was far more intense and continues even to this day. So let's get into it. All right, we're going to get this show off with a big bang. My first guest was a high school All-American football player out of Fort Worth, Texas, played safety at the University of Arizona. And by the way, I just tried to get him to come out of retirement and help my New York Jets, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen at safety. He served six years with the Tucson Police Department in Arizona, working as a SWAT operator, field training officer, general instructor, and public information officer. 
Brandon then left the police force and took it to another level. The founder of TatumReport.com, CEO of three companies, and along with Candace Owens, founded Blexit, the Black Exit Movement. You've seen them all over TV shows. I don't know if they're putting our conservative guys on anymore and gals on anymore, but he was on Fox News all over the place, Newsmax. He's spoken at colleges all over the place. He was invited to the White House by President Trump on several occasions. He's recognized for his godly perspective, dynamic personality, authentic message, and his natural ability to relate to the everyday American. This former police officer is the author of the book, Beaten, Black and Blue, Being a Black Cop in America Under Siege. Happy to speak again with Mr. Brandon Tatum. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Right. And uh, coming out of Fort Worth, All-American, were you a four-star or a five-star? Did they have the five? Did they have that star system yet? Yeah, they had those star systems. So some places had me four-star, some had me five. I was the top 78 player um, in the nation. I played at the U.S. Army All-American game. Oh, uh, yeah, I know that game. And now, so there's a, re- a definite reason I asked you that question. And here's the reason. When you were playing at Fort Worth, high school All-American, if somebody then had told you down the line in 2021, you would have founded a black exit movement, had become a police officer, and was a beacon of conservatism, what would you have said to that individual back then? Uh, before or after I fainted, because I couldn't believe <laughs> somebody would even say something like that. You so know, I, I would have. There's nobody. I mean, that. I mean, I don't even think that if Jesus came and told me that, I, I would be as confident to believe that that would be the trajectory of my life. You know, I grew up in a very different environment, and I thought I was playing in the NFL for sure. Well, tell them this. I, I opened the door so you can tell them how you got from who you were and tell them the type of guy and the, what politically where you would stand as you went into the University of Arizona to how it morphed into red pilling you to who you are today. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting story. I write a little bit about it in my book, but I mean, you know, I grew up, I would probably lean more Democrat. You know, I was I didn't know nothing about politics pretty much, but I was told I was a Democrat because I'm black uh, and the black people are for Democrats I and mean, the Democrats for the black people and the, and the Republicans are racist white people. And, you know, you know, I grew up in a, you know, in a, in a split family. You know, I grew up in somewhat of a violent environment. You know, I, I had a terrible attitude. You know, I got my hood tattooed on my forearms. I used to have gold teeth in my mouth and this is in high school. And you know, I, I got kicked out of high school while I had a full scholarship to University of Arizona. I got kicked out because I was going to get into a, fi- a physical fight with my teacher. I threw a chair at her. I called oh, wow. all kind of names. Out of her? Yeah. yeah I was, she, I, what did she do to warrant that? She, she locked me. It was a long it was a long process. You know, I, w- I had been late to her class. It was some class I had to retake or that I never took. So I had to take to graduate. And this lady was just, she didn't like me. I think she was a little bit biased against me because I'm an athlete and I was a superstar. And, was she black and or was she white? She was white. She was yeah, white. Okay. And uh, she didn't like me for whatever reason. But I, I didn't help by being late to class every day. So every day I was late, she locked me out. I missed bail work. Bail work is a significant part of your grade. So my mama got on me and it was the last draw. She's like, you better not be late to that class ever again. Get that lady. No excuse to, to you know, flunk you. 
So this one day I get to class. I got there on time. I was five minutes early. She's talking to another guy, one of my friends in, in inside the doorway. And as soon as they finish talking, I'm like, this lady see me. She's going to let me in the classroom. I mean, I'm good. I did what my mom told me to do. I ain't never going to be late again. I'm going to do my best in this class, and she ain't going to have no excuse. As soon as the bell rang, she she shut the door on me. She pulled the door <laughs> shut on me. And I lost my mind. I mean, I, I was really upset, and then I was going to walk away. I was really upset, but I was going to walk away, and that was going to be the end of it. Then my friend down the hallway, man, he just happened to spark me. Like, what's up, B. Tatum? What happened? And then I just lost it, man. I picked the chair up and threw it at the door. And when she came out the door, I was going to fight her. You know, I was I was running up on her. And, and my friend, Big, we call him Big Fish, he had to hold me back. And, man, I got kicked out of school. It was embarrassing. And then they ended up forgiving me after I went to alternative school and they brought me back. But, I mean, I got suspended a, a few times during that year. Uh, one was my girlfriend. She was she was real hood. She was fighting. She'd be fighting dudes, girls, all kind of stuff. So she was fighting this dude. She calls me on the phone during lunch and say, oh, this dude beat, beating on me and whatever. And, I, and, you know, I can't let no dude beat my girl up. So I, I run up to the school. I see him in the in the office and I'm cussing. You know, I'm saying the N word. I'm threatening the guy. And they, they kicked me out of school. That, I mean, they suspended me that time. So, you know, I was I, I shouldn't have been acting that way. My daddy didn't raise me like that. But I was I was violent, man. And and then so then I went to college <clears throat> with this in my mind. You know, Dunbar High School in Fort Worth is all black in the hood. And so I go to college without a lot of exposure to white people. Right, right. And so my th- thought is that white people didn't like black people and that they racist. And and then I'm going to have a conflict when I get to this primarily white school. So when I get there, it just stuff started opening my eyes. I'm like. I ain't never, I ain't had not one bad interaction with white people since I've been on this campus. None of my teachers are, are treat me any other way. I mean, they treat me like I'm anybody else. Some of them knew I was a football player, so they, of course, they treated me like a king. Um, so I, it started changing my mind. Like this ain't what I thought it it was. You know, white people ain't as bad as I thought they were, and I actually like white people. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, I actually like a lot of these white people more than I like some of my black friends. So. I, and then, and then the big pivotal point in my college career was when I got saved in 2008. So Amen. Amen. I was, and it's funny because you know, I, I, football wasn't working out for me. And you got to think I was a tremendous athlete. I ran a four three. I had a 44 inch vertical leap. Like I, I was a, I was an athlete. And out of high school, I had, I had those stats coming out of high school. And so. You know, I, when football wasn't working out for me, it was devastating. I was like, man, I need to figure my life out. Like, this is ain't this ain't going right. So I said, let me try this God thing out and see if God is real. And, you know, do I need to be doing more for God? And, you know, maybe things will work out for me. And, and so 2008, I got saved at a little church in Tucson, Apostolic Holiness Church called uh, Emmanuel Grace Apostolic Church. I was born, I was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Spirit. I spoke in tongues and all that other stuff that we were doing there. And and that changed my life completely. I mean, I quit cursing. I mean, I, I'm talking about instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I quit cursing. I threw away all my rap music. And and I don't know if you know of a band called, or a group called Ty Tribute. No. Uh, well, Ty Tribute is a gospel music band, a neo-soul type. I mean, they, they're mm-hmm. just completely talented in music, you know, in music and singing and all that. So I went to one of their concerts, and the guy said at the end, you can either leave here different or you're going to stay the same. And that's when I threw away all my rap music. But then like a couple of days later, I got saved and it just changed my life, man. I mean, I, my attitude changed the way I 
presented myself changed. And, and I forgot to mention I got in trouble while I was in college with the football coach. I, you know, I was trying to fight him and everybody was afraid of me because I, I had such a violent temper. I wasn't coachable. And, uh, but when I got saved, it all changed. That's great to hear. And let me just throw this little thing out. Maybe you have thought of it. Maybe you haven't. But have you considered the possibility that if God had allowed you to have your dream with the 44-inch vertical and the 4-3, and people, you got to understand, anybody that's a safety that runs 4-3 is basically inhuman. Wide receivers, the, the greatest of the greats, barely run a 4-3. So at his size, if you can run a 4-3 and jump and high point a ball and go up with receivers and beat them at the high point to at least on the 50-50 balls, fight, fight your way where you can challenge 50-50 balls against talented wide receivers. That's such a gift. If God had allowed you to have your dream, you may, and had that dream in the NFL, you may not have gotten saved. Yeah, I think that, well, that could be a possibility. You know, I always thought I should have went to another university because I had scholarships to LSU, Florida. I mean, I could have went anywhere. I don't know what I was thinking when I went to Arizona, but um, I, I, do, I agree to that because, and even if I had been saved, and I went to the NFL, I don't think I would have been conservative. I don't think I would have been the man that I am today. Um, I don't even know if I'd have stayed saved. You know what I'm saying? I probably would have went off and and wouldn't have been a, a you know work, work, working for the Lord anymore. I probably would have made a lot of money and been had kids out of wedlock and all kind of stuff. So um, I think that God knew better than me of the future in which I really wanted. You know, like, you know, a lot of times we pray for stuff and we go, oh, I want to be a millionaire or oh, I want to this job. I want to be the CEO of this or, or chief of this. And and God knows what you really want. He's like, well, you really don't want to be the chief. You really want to have stability. You really want to be uh, influenced in the world, you know, whatever. And then he changed it up on us. You know, and sometimes it's hard. It was the worst. The worst experience of my life was going through college football. Um, before I was saved and after I was saved, I'm trying to make it and navigate through that. My career not going well when I'm the best athlete on the football team by far. And it was it was turmoil sitting on the sideline every game, crying after the games because I was devastated. And I, and I felt like I had a, a connection with the church there. So I didn't want to leave the university. You know, I didn't want to be a quitter. I said, you know, I'm going to get my degree no matter what. And it just, you know, it was turmoil, man. And then God turned it around. Uh, that's such a blessing. Now, let's take you back to Fort Worth when you're acting up. And if somebody had told you then, if you fainted it when somebody told you you become a conservative, conservative, what would you said said to somebody when you were a high school senior or even early on at Arizona that you would become a police officer? Yeah, no way. There, there was no way. There was no way anybody could tell me that. I never even thought about being a police officer. Like, I didn't really even like police officers that much, you know. Um, How'd that which, happen that you became one? Yeah, <laughs> which is an interesting story. So before, you know, I, 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 got, I failed to mention this. My first interaction with police officers in a negative way was when I was eight. I got arrested for smoking marijuana in a vacant house when I was eight years old. And that was a pretty traumatic experience to a certain degree. You know, uh, they pulled guns on us and all that. It was me. My brother was 10. My other cousin was nine. And, and we had like seven of us. The oldest was 17. And uh, we were in the vacant house. Cops, somebody must have called on us. The cops busted down the door. They had guns drawn on us. And uh, they threw us in the back of a patrol car, went to the detention center. 
my dad showed up. He blew up in there and was acting crazy. And and uh, we, we survived that. But that was mm-hmm. my first interaction with the police. And then from then on, growing up, it's like they're racist white people. You know, so when they, I got pulled over a couple of times and I thought they were just targeting me because I was black with no evidence. It's just that's what I thought was happening, even though they legitimately had a reason to pull me over. But um, when I got to college, I got into a thing with the police. Um, so we were we, me and my some of my friends went to a frat party. So some I mean, not a frat party, but a, um, uh, I forget the girls names, a fraternity. It was some girls that we were dating. Uh, they had a Moulin Rouge fraternity party. And so we were on a bus and there was a couple of frat boys on that same bus to go to this Moulin Rouge event. So the dude said something real crazy to one of my teammates who have no chill and the fight ensued. And so mm-hmm. on the bus, on the bus, the guy started it. He said something crazy. I think he called my friend an word or something. I don't know what he was. He was drunk. So my friend proceeds to uh, give him a hood spanking. And then other guys tried to fight us on the on the bus because we came to his rescue and other guys tried to jump in. I don't know uh-huh. what they were thinking. So they were losing miserably and they the one that started it. So once we got off the bus and parked, somebody called the cops, the cops showed up and they were coming straight for us, man. You know, uh, they were trying to tackle me in the grass and all kind of crazy stuff. And, uh, so, you know, I had a negative perception of them even then. And then when, uh, but after I got saved, God like hit the reset button for me because it was like, you know what? We are God's children. God is in control of my life. And I'm going to treat everybody as individuals because just because that one cop wanted to tackle me in the grass or because those cops and, and I, I believe that they weren't wrong now that I've become a cop, you know, but, um, you know, with, with all that had happened, I, I started the reset button with white people, with my family, with anybody. It's like I'm going to try to look through the lens of Christ. If I see a person, let me judge that person based on his behavior or her actions and then I'll I'll determine if that person is good or bad. So I, after the reset button type thing, when I got saved in, in 08, and then football didn't work out for me, I was in the 2010 NFL draft. Even though I didn't start a single game in college, I played special teams, and I probably got in the game maybe two or three times. Um, and, but I, I was such an athlete that I still was in the draft. Oakland Raiders were going to draft me. They were going to draft me as the only safety that they picked in the NFL draft in 2010. They told my agent, I threw a draft party. My family was there. It was on my birthday. And then on draft day, they passed on me. And that was another devastating moment. Um, At the time, my fiance was pregnant with my oldest son now. He's 11. But she was pregnant. And the NFL had reached this end for me. And I had a mentor. And that's a whole other story. A millionaire guy decided to mentor me. um, And he told me, put an X on the calendar. So whenever... Uh, football is not yielding results. You need to put an X on the calendar and transition to something different. Um, and and one interesting thing he told me, be him being a, a, a very successful businessman, millionaire, is he was telling me about wealth and rich, being rich versus being wealthy. And he was just saying, like, don't put all your eggs in the basket of, of the NFL because 80% of these guys go bankrupt. No, you're not going to make it. Right? Yeah, these guys, and these guys are rich. They're not wealthy. He said, you know, if you're Tom Brady, you make about as much money as I make but I make this for the rest of my life. They, you know, the life, the life expectancy is like five years. So mm-hmm. they may make it 10 years. They may make it and then they out and they bankrupt or whatever. And so, so don't put all your eggs in that basket and think you can't be successful in any other way. So once it wasn't yielding, I put an X and I said, you know, I need to try something else. I had a degree at the time. I applied for everything in the city of Tucson. And because I needed a job, I was getting ready to be a father. And Tucson police was on the thing. And I said, you know what? They got good pay, <laughs> good benefits. 
it's honorable to serve. I, I always wanted to be in the military. So I was like, it's honorable to serve the community. Let me just apply and see where it goes. One day they called me back and, and I was shocked to be honest. I was like, it's funny thing. I tell this story and some people think it's funny. Some people probably think I'm weird, but me and my, me and my uh, fiance at the time was arguing over, we were going to break up or something. And we were arguing over the engagement ring or something. I don't even remember what we were arguing over. And it's funny. The next day, the police department called me. And my initial thought was that she had called the police on me. And I'm like, <laughs> this, this girl to call the police on me over a phone call? You know, she's trying to send me to jail. And so at first I was like apprehensive to even talk to him. I almost hung up on him. But then uh, they said, hey, you applied for the job. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, now, you know, now we can talk. And so they uh, told me to finish the process. Uh, and then I said, you know what, I know nothing about police. And let me do a ride along. You know, let me go and check out and see if I really want to do this. And so I did a ride along with Officer Sean Payne, and he's in my book. He's going to be at my, my, my book launch party. A, a tremendous man. He's white. And so I remember pulling up on him at the, sub, at the substation, and it was weird because I shouldn't have put up on him like that because he's a cop, and I'm, he don't know who I am. But he was nice to me, man. He said, hey, I'll come tomorrow. I'll do a ride along with you. It was something like tomorrow or the next day or something like that. So I did, and it blew my mind when I did that ride along. I, it just absolutely blew my mind. I had no idea what police officers actually did on a day-to-day basis. And to be honest, uh, for me, it's the first time I saw like a real-life hero. I thought these NFL players, you know, Michael Jordan, them, I, I love them, no, no disrespect to uh, athletes, but nobody was doing what Sean Payne was doing. Uh-huh. You know, he 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 pulled a pr- – we started out with like a basic car. A lady was, had a flat tire. He just pulled over, helped to change the tire, and I was like – this is a cakewalk. I could be a cop. This ain't nothing. The next call, I'm the, we, this is a fr- 9 a.m. The next call is a suicidal man. A young kid was c- trying to commit suicide. He was actively cutting his wrist is what the phone call said. I mean, we drove 90, well, I was like 75, 80 miles per hour down the residential street. We almost died twice because people don't know how to move to the right. And we get there, we running through the apartment complex and I'm trailing them because I'm, I'm the ride along. And they force entry into the house and once they go in, I could I could look in after they already went in. They had me stand off to the side. And when I looked in, the, the kid was in the back of the uh, apartment with a, with a knife in his hand. And he was cutting his blood all over him. He was cutting his wrist. And Sean Payne then were able to get in the drop, put the, put the knife down. And they, they saved his life. And I remember getting back in the car with Sean. And I was, I was still shaking. My heart was still racing from <laughs> yeah. drive. I, had, mm-hmm. I mean, the man with the knife, all that stuff was like over. I haven't even got to that point yet. And he gets back in the car and he's cool as a cucumber, man. He just chilling. And I, he started asking me about my family again, like he was before this call. And I, dude, I was, I, I didn't even know what to say. I couldn't even speak. I was so shocked at what had happened. And you got to think I grew up in the hood, man. I grew up around people fighting each other and, you know, but I ain't never been like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I hear you. So, so once he, once he did that, man, I was inspired. I said, dang, man, this dude is a freaking hero. And, and I remember asking him like, is this like a typical shift for you? And mind you, I only did half the shift. I didn't even do the the full shift. I did half because I had to go to work. I had another job, making $7 an hour, working at Verizon Wireless Premium Retailer. But anyway, um, he said, yeah, I do this every day, man. This is it's not even a real serious day. And I'm like, what? People do, like, like people do stuff like this, you know? And and I was inspired. I said, man, I want to be a hero like Sean, man. I mean, this is way cooler than being a, being a football player, you know? And uh, so I, I finished the application, did, did very, you know, I was a great athlete, so I did very well in the training. I broke all the records that they had, you know, uh-huh. in, the, uh, in the police academy. And, you know, I got out. I was very proud. 
I was very proud. My father was proud of me. My dad was a was a fire captain. I mean, at the time he was a battalion chief. He ended up retiring as a chief, but he had his class A uniform on. He was he was at my graduation. I had my class A on. Me and my father took pictures together in our uniforms. It was an amazing moment, and I enjoyed I I enjoyed every moment of being a police officer. The, the the greatest thing that I ever did in my life was being a police officer. And I miss it now, to be honest, but you know, I feel like God has shifted me in another direction. That is wonderful to hear. Now, since you have segued to this part, please tell them about your book, because now here you are, a police officer having to deal with guys in the hood who used to be like you. So what was yeah. that like? And tell them about your book, the premise about your book and how you feel about the, the, the black community and a lot of the black leaders that are leading this anti-cop, anti-police you know, uh, police, uh, force, anti-law enforcement brigade. Yeah, so, you know, this was a thing that God put on my, he actually put two books on my heart when I was a police officer. And this was like earlier in my career, I think maybe midway through my career, maybe year three or four, it was like the book Being Black and Blue. And there's another book that God gave me the name for. And I said, one day I'm gonna write a book. Uh, you know, I thought I was gonna be the police chief. I went back to get my master's degree. I was getting, I wanted to be the chief so I could just change policing in America. And, you know, at least in my city for sure. And um, so, you know, now fast forward to now, I said, you know what, this is the time to write a book because police officers don't have a voice. You know, a lot of the guys that I know, they, they message me, they tell me what's going on, but they, they're, they have to work for the city. So they can't come out and, and, and blast and tell the truth about what's going on and how they feel and all this stuff. So I'm like, people have no idea what police actually do. You know, cops is a edit. Cops is a PG version of law enforcement. They don't show the gruesome stuff. You know, they only show the mm -hmm. fun stuff that people want to see. And so I said, you know, we need a voice, man. You know, this is the, the stuff that I, Barack Obama was saying, which which is what really turned me from being a Democrat to being more of a Republican was really Barack Obama. But the stuff he was saying, the stuff politicians are saying now, and they just bashing police. And every time you turn something on, they, they're telling, oh, that cop shouldn't have shot that person. And it's like, I've been there. He should have shot that person. This is the way we're trained. They don't understand what it feel like. They don't understand what fear feel like and all that. So I said, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to debunk the myths that are out there. I'm going to talk about police brutality. What's police brutality? What's not? I'm going to talk about uh, defunding the police. What does that mean? I talked about George Floyd's case. And I interviewed five police officers. Sean Payne, which was, which was more of my, uh, it's my hero police officer. He's in the book, too. I interviewed these police officers. And they gave their stories of what, what their experiences are like in America and their current police officers. Cause you know, I left the police department. So we put, I put all of that into the book and we give solutions at the end of the book. I give my solution to the problem and all the five officers that I interviewed, they articulate what they think will be solutions to the problem of, you know, law enforcement in the community in America. Um, and, and, and segue into like what it's like patrolling people that used to be like, I mean, it ain't just me, people that are like my family members. Cause I got a few family members doing, I mean, by the grace of God, one of them got out and then the other one will be eligible for parole at, at 15 years. But essentially, my my great uncle got 40 years federal time and he was 50 when he went in. So he would have died in there if it wasn't for Donald Trump's First Step Act. He would have died in there. My other cousin got 70 years. Kevin, um, he he can do 50. They're going to let him do 15 and then he's eligible for parole. He shot three people in the prohibited possessor with drugs in the wow. car and all kind of stuff. Um, and one of my uncles uh these are my great uncles my mom didn't have any siblings and this is on my mom's side of family my dad's side of family my uncles weren't there so i don't want people to confuse my my uncles on my dad's side but um my other one of my other great uncles he's doing life in prison 
um, for armed robbery of a convenience store where he shot at the clerk. But I think he had a lot of other criminal stuff he'd done, and that was the last draw for him. Another uncle I had uh, killed somebody and faked his death, so he's doing life in prison. And I had a bunch of other family members in and out of prison. Um, so, and like family, family members on crack. I mean, just mm. literally on crack, cracked out. I remember at my draft party, my auntie was cracked out, and I, and my fiance was white. And so she ain't never been around nothing like that. And she come to my draft party, and I introduced her to my, my auntie. And my auntie was so, her and her boyfriend was so high on crack, they weren't even speaking English. Like, they weren't even talking. They thought they were talking, but they weren't talking. They were just, and she, mar- she married you anyway. <laughs> she, she wanted to marry me anyway. I don't know. I guess she, I was cool, but they were crazy. So, but I, but, but having those people in my family and being exposed to that, when I was a police officer, I was better equipped to deal with people like that because I didn't see them as monsters. I'm like, I, I, you know, my auntie on crack, you know, my whatever. Uh, so I was able to reason with people and I was able to meet them at a place where they feel confident and comfortable to communicate with me or whatever the case may be. You know, you had people that want to fight and everything, but most people I could communicate, I could reason with, I could sympathize with, I would speak life to. And I think it really helped me going through the stuff that I went through and then, you know, being a police officer. Yeah, I, I hear you. So let's fast forward a, a, a bit ahead. How did how did you and Candace Owens uh, co-found Blexit? How and why and how is Blexit doing now? OK, great question. Um, you know, when I in 2017, when I left the police department, I was working for a company called Liftable Media and Candace Owens was red pill black on, on YouTube. She wasn't you know, she'd have no legs right. in the conservative game. Like me and her was just at the starting point of being recognized to a certain degree. And so she reached out to me on Twitter and she was like, Hey, you know, I love what you do. Like we got a lot in common. Um, let's meet, let's talk, chop it up and see if we can like do content together. Um, and so I say, perfect. So her family, she got family that live out here in Phoenix. So she came to Phoenix one time and she said, Hey, let's meet me at this restaurant in Mesa, Arizona. And so I go down there, I'm thinking this is going to be me and her. We're going to chop it up. And I'm going to see if she cool or not or whatever. And lo and behold, it's a whole family there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like seven people there. And, you know, we, you know, we and Candace, man, we could talk. So we debated all night because we had three of us that were at the table were conservative and the other people were were Democrats. You know, they were left left leaning. Uh And so we debated, man, they had to kick us out the restaurant. We were going, we we, the restaurant was closed. We were still debating. So that was my first time meeting Candace and that's what happened. And and so we we hit it off well and we were like, you know, we stuck with each other through thick and thin, you know, because when we started getting more popular, people start hating. Yeah. There's it, a lot of pushback. Talk about the pushback. Oh, well, man, when I came out and supported Trump, man, I, I mean, all the dudes I went to school with in high school, because you got to think my Facebook was all my high school friends, whatever. Man, everybody turned on me, man. It probably was like I can count on my hand. How many people are like, I'll be Tatum, I still respect you. Man, everybody turned on me. All the dudes I grew up with, all the dudes and uh, I played football with in college. I mean, Uncle Tom, Sellout, Coon, Oreo. I mean, I, I got so much backlash from people that I cared about that knew me, um, that went to church with me. I had Sister Sia at my church cussed me out and said, you ain't nothing but an end just like the rest of us. And I I ain't even know Sister Sia cussed. And she, <laughs> she, she was out of her mind. And I had I, I, I had to tell my pastor, Pastor, you see what she sent me? Like, this is crazy. People at my church, di- people at my church disowned me. It was crazy, man. But 
you know, I, to be honest, I'm an independent thing. I don't care. You know, I got Jesus and y'all can do whatever y'all want. Amen. To do. And I got to ask you this question about this. So you were able to reason with some of the people about crime. Were you? Why is it? And as as a, I went through the same thing, you know, I born black. I got saved later in life in, in 1997. I was 43. And then, you know, I was a Democrat and I changed because you, you understand the issues. You understand where Jesus stands and, and, and you see what it's about. And I lost everybody, you know, and, and but God has rebuilt it up with real, true born again Christians around me now. But the question is, why is it we can't? We can't. It's not even about date debate. Why is it we can't reason with people, relatives, family, people who have been in our fear, fear of influence? Why can't we reason with them about such a thing as supporting President Trump or the Republican Party? Well, you know, I think that, Gary, I think that it's more it's a spiritual thing, too. I think spiritually. Because I felt like I don't even know why I felt the way I used to feel before I got saved. There's no real reason. It's not like my parents brainwashed me into being a Democrat and a racist white man. It's like, dang, that was like a like a spirit on me, you know. And and I I feel like a lot of people they have the, they're dealing they're battling some spirit on them as well as they have they have created their identity around some of these things. So when you come to them and say, hey, you know, this is why I support Trump, and you give them factual information based on policies that they actually agree with they still right, can't that's overcome the crazy that. thing like if you don't tell them if you say like k carl smith who's been on my show several times and he does a lot of public speaking you know and he, he just like the typical black guy growing up in alabama had been a democrat and then god said you know looked at him and said why aren't you voting your values and he changed when he when he approaches people he says he'll give them the issues how do you feel about this how do you feel about that how do you feel about this how do you feel about that and then then he'll go, well, Frederick Douglass, he felt the same way because everything that you are assenting to, that's what Frederick Douglass did. And he was a Republican. And they'll, and they'll say, no, 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 that's what the Democrats stand for. He said, no, they don't. So but yep. they still don't want to listen. Some do, but it's it's rough. It's rough, man. It's rough. It's rough. I'm telling it is rough out here when it comes to this. I like I, I'm I'm like one more event from losing hope and, and, and trying to convince the black community to 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 just look at reality, man. I mean, I, I was uh, two events that I went to that just these are strike one and strike two. I went to Rider University um, in New Jersey. And right, I, I don't know really know. Yeah, you know, see, I don't know the demographics of the university, but I know they have a lot of black students there. So it was only supposed to be 50 students from Turning Point USA that's going to show up. Majority white. That's mostly when I go these majority white students show up because that's a little turning point demographic. So, um, but then there was 450 kids showed up. 400 of them were from the student, black student union and you know, so the black students showed up and they all hated me. They came to protest me because I said that uh, white privilege was a myth. Absolutely. Uh, and so I go on to explain everything, but this is the part that just killed me. They booed me when I said all this stuff and I gave them factual information why white white's privilege is a myth and why I think that there's privileges that white people have and there's privileges black people have, but to think that it's an overarching um, pan epidemic of white privilege and every white person have it is, is a complete farce. So a young black girl comes up to ask the question. Her mom's on crack. It seemed like she came from a very uh, humble beginning, very rough background. And she was like, what do I do? You know, my mom's on crack. You know, how do I make it as a black person in America? And I say, look, you can be whatever you want to be. God has put you in a position to, to, to enact that generational change. You got a full scholarship here. 
Um, you don't have to be, you know, live the lifestyle your mama did. You're going to be better. You can start a new family. You can create a new generation. Believe in yourself. You got a degree. You can do this. They booed me. They booed me. Boo, boo. And, 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 and I was just out of my mind. And then the girl told me, she go, well, what, how do I get a job if white people don't want to hire me? And I said, well, first of all, you don't want people prejudging you. So don't prejudge the people. Don't talk yourself out of something before you give it a try. Go to the job and give it a fair try. Do the best you can. Give them no excuse and then see where it goes from there. And she go, well, I got two jobs. And I'm like, oh, my God, people can't be genuine for 30 seconds. She's asking me <laughs> how can she get a job. She got two jobs. She's asking me how she can make it. She's on full scholarship. And so and they boo and all the black people booing me. So fast forward to the revolt summit that just was last weekend. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the revolt summit. Candace where, did it. Where, where was it held? Atlanta. Okay. So the revolt summit in Atlanta, they bring a lot of celebrities and stuff there. Like, uh, I think, I think P Diddy was there, um, on the stage with me was David Banner, um, uh, Crump, Benjamin Crump. Yeah I, know, Crump. yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. So some more people like that was on the panel and it was supposed to be safety in the black community. Right. I'm supposed oh, to be there. Oh my gosh. I'm supposed to be <laughs> there from the law enforcement perspective, man. I get there. They're going to gang up on you. And as soon as you mention thing, those names. Yeah. Oh, ahead. man. Was, Ebony Williams. I don't know. I never knew who she was. I know Ebony. Wife. She used to be on Fox News. On, she used to be on Fox. Yeah. So she's a real housewife. And she, my wife told me she was the most terrible person on that show and got the show canceled because she's crying racism every time to turn around. So she's the moderator when she's not a moderator. So the first thing David Banner says, he goes off about how the white man is white. I mean, just the most racist stuff that I've ever heard, man. And then he goes and says, the, the police department, they, they, they originated from slave patrols. And so I let him talk. I said, okay, when I get the mic, I'm going to debunk that. And then we're going to, then we're going to get into the, what matters the most. So as soon as I get the mic, I say, well, no disrespect to Mr. David Banner. Um, police didn't come from, Slave patrols. That's that's not accurate. And I and then they, of course, the, the, everybody on the panel look at me crazy, and the people in the audience are groaning. And I say, no, nah, do your research. You can do your own research. You research this, and you decide whether Banner and I are telling the truth. But then they stop me. The girls say, Get, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We what we not gonna do is tell lies on this thing. And I'm like, I wrote a book about this. You, you you know, you just giving your opinion. And I told the audience they can research this, but y'all don't want that. That ain't the worst. They had panelists say poli no police officers are good. They had panelists say that we all racist. Um, and you got to mind you, this event got like a thousand people there and all the black, all the officers who are patrolling and, and, and you know, helping protect the event are all black Atlanta police officers. And Atlanta has more than half of their police department is black. So they saying all this stuff. My, my cousin is a, is a a police officer, a black police officer in Atlanta. So, yeah. yeah I mean, every yeah. every cop I saw when I was in Atlanta was black. So, I mean, it's a huge population of black police officers. But anyway, they, they're doing this. I finally get a chance to speak at the end after they didn't done all this stupidity, all this social justice stuff. And uh, one of the things that the guys were saying is that this country don't belong to us. Like the, until we get rid of the Constitution, this flag and this stuff ain't for us. After they said all this, I had a chance to get on the mat, the mic, and I said, uh, this country belongs to us like anybody else. This constitution is ours. This flag, this national anthem, our forefathers fought so we can be a part of this country. This country belongs to us like anybody else. 
We can't isolate ourselves and act like we're we not a part of this. They not, we're not getting rid of the Constitution. So I went off, and of course, they booed me and all this other stuff. And But when I left, I was like, oh, one thing I said was that, because they were always talking about the white man and slavery. And I said, we sold our people to these white people y'all talking right, about. Right, from Africa, right. From Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We sold our own people. And, and, that, and not just to America, South America, all around the world. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start with saying... We started this by selling our own people, kidnapping our own people, capturing our own people, and then selling it to these white people that you claim were so bad. Let's be honest about the thing. And then they booed me. And I was like, I said, like, it's just like some black people don't want to be honest, even if you give them facts. Like, they won't accept the fact that we sold each other. We sold our own people into slavery. They, they can't acknowledge that. You know, the first black slave, the first slave owner, official slave owner, legal slave owner in American history is a black man, Anthony Johnson. They, I, I, if I said that to a black person, they would probably try to kill me. It's like I can you can present facts and whether it's spiritual, whether it's identity, a lot of black people cannot accept it. I give them facts about policing in America and police brutality and how it's a myth. You know, um, there is no research that's, that that support that police are racially biased against black people in this country. There's no support of that. There's no support that there's a, a pandemic or epidemic of police brutality in this country. Police deal with 300 million people a year and a, a, a small fraction of those interactions end in violence. A very small right. fraction. And then in death is even smaller. And then if you're a black man dying for the police is even smaller. This is. You know, you got more chance to get struck by lightning than being killed by a police officer as a black person. Well, I got to ask you a question. I got to ask you a question that I've never asked anybody because I really haven't had too many police officers. I had Sheriff David Clark on, former Sheriff David Clark on. But I have a question to ask you that about, okay, like if the race hustlers and by the way, you know, about your speaking engagements, you got to understand the Marxists, the Marxists that that are running these, you know, it's never about the issues, it's always about the revolution. The Marxists will make sure that they get the Antifa or the Black Lives Matter people in there and they, you know, they get all these students all riled up to come in because that's what they do to push back against the truth. But I've never, my question, I never understood this mentality. If the race hustlers are gonna tell you the police are trying to kill black men, that the police want to kill black men, why is it, when white policemen stop certain black guys, they give them some lip. It should be, yes, sir, officer, no, sir, officer. Why are they trying to get insolent and, and giving them a reason, you know, to actually think about trying? You understand what I'm saying? If, yeah. if white cops are yeah. so bad, why are you mouthing off? Or why are you trying to run? Or why are you trying to fight them? Or why are you trying to shoot them? Or why are you trying to curse them out? Give them a reason to knock you in the head. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that, you know, there's a there's a reality and then there's the race hustling um, that are not connected to reality. The reality is we have a cultural issue. We have a, a fatherlessness issue, fa- male leadership issue that we have our young people that do not they do not know how to handle authority. They do not respect authority, no matter who it is, because I'm, I'm sure they treat their mama the same way. You know, and nobody can tell them what to do. And these these young boys are running crazy. They're killing each other. They're robbing people. They're 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 you know they're doing a lot of crazy stuff. So this is just the expression of all that they do when they get into a traffic stop and they start fighting the cop. It's not the first time they fight people. It's not the first time somebody tell them something and they blow up on them. And it's a myth to think that black people are afraid of police that they're gonna get killed. And the reason I say that, at least the ones that you see on TV. Um, because if you're afraid they're going to kill you, 
you would be the first one to listen to what they got to say. You ain't going to run. Which, like somebody came on TV and said he was afraid. That's why he ran. Well, well hold on. Hold on a second. Which one do you think is going to be more dangerous for you? If you just stand here with your hands up or you run because they're, they're going to chase you and then they're going to catch you. And then the momentum of them catching you with all the rage that they probably feel for you taking them on a high speed chase and putting their life in danger, they may whoop your butt. Mm-hmm. And so in reality, they're not scared of the police. It's just yeah. that they have to say that in order to push an agenda so they can keep getting paid. It's, it's, it's like if I keep if I keep people afraid, I can sell them fear all the time. But I just got to keep that that fear meter up. If they fear me to go down, I can't sell it to them like I can, like I usually do. It's the same thing with, with, with black lives and police brutality and all this stuff. If they sell black folks that this country hate them and that the law enforcement officers have inherently racist and against them, then they have that, that fear and that momentum and that hatred ready to go. As soon as a black man die, no matter if he's right or wrong, they got that meter up to where they can say anything. They can lie and everybody's going to believe them and burn down the whole city. And not only that, then they'll have 20,000 people in 20 cities ready to go on the drop of a hat. This is all part of the plan. Brandon, uh, before I let you go here, please tell people, and please don't don't stop what you're doing, and tell people about what Blexit is doing now and how successful do you think it is reaching young people in particular with about the movement of that, uh, about, because you're bringing truth and you, you know, it's a wonderful thing that what you guys do and gals do please tell them about the movement and what they're doing and what else you're involved with and how people can reach you perfect uh so 2018 we started blexit and we really wanted to give uh black people an opportunity to, to see a different um perspective and it's not really just political it's becoming the best version of yourself and being educated on facts of the things that you care about and then making all your cho- choices in life based on that. So, um, of course, the name is catchy, Blexit, the black exit. Um, and, and it's really the black exit from uh, brainwashing, the black exit from the, the, the plantation that, that I feel like that we we have been put on, the monolith that we've been uh, prescribed as. And, and so we educate people. Um, with our events, community outreach, community events, block parties, we do them all over the country. Um, we started out with one chapter, you know, in 2018, and we can't count 2020 because of COVID and all the all the crap that went along there. But from 2018 to now, we have 35 chapters all around the country, and by the end of next year, we'll have 50 chapters in the, in this country. So we'll have a chapter in every single state in the union. And uh, we do a lot of work. We we have to we actually also started an after school program. So we have an after school program. We started in in Tennessee, and we're gonna push it out to all 50 states. To where if you know in these communities, underserved communities, these kids going to these schools that are failing, we'll allow their parents to bring them to an after school program where we help them with education, where we give their parents an opportunity to have a babysitter and you know right after school so they can go to work and and we help them in the community. But we we do a lot of that. You know, a lot of what we do is try to educate. And a lot of people who volunteer for us and create chapters are individuals that see a need in their own city and they're able to volunteer and start a chapter and serve their community. And we are here to support them with that. You know, we raise money to support them. We have donors that care about these communities and they can, you know, step up and, and make sure we make that possible. So I, I think Blexit is doing really well. You know, I, I have to say we're doing the best that we can do. Yeah. Um, I would like to see more black people get involved. You know, sometimes we have events and it, it seems like more white people show up 
And one reason is because a lot of white people love me and Candace. But another reason is that white people want to see black people thrive. And and these these naysayers don't don't believe so. And I, sometimes I it think helps everybody. Want, it helps well, everybody. And, and I think that black people I think that white people want black people do better. Well, more than black people do sometimes, you know, because some of these times we do have a lot of white support and they like, what can we do? How can we help? Like we want to we don't want to talk. We just want to help. We want to be a part of helping our own community, because at the end of the day, we're all a family. You know, we all black, right. white and stuff is what these right. people try to tell us. At the end of the day, we all Americans. We believe the same blood. We all God's children. And so when we when you see a group of God's children that need help, we all need to step up and help them. No matter if you black, white, green, orange, Hispanic, you know, whatever. So. You know, but I really want to see and hope that we can get to the point where we have a lot more um, black support and a lot more of black people joining the movement. Um, although we we obviously have primarily black people. So don't get it. I think some people want to criticize. Say, you small white people. No, nah, it's just a lot of white people do show up and we don't discriminate against people that want to help. Um, and so but I think that we're on the right path and hopefully with what's going on in the White House now. What's, what's not being done in the White House, what's done and not being done in the White House will help people realize that there's another side to this and we need to be a part of something that can that can really bless our community. And when it comes to the other things that I'm involved in, you know, I, I guess uh, things that people can get involved in with me. Um, you know, I do a lot of things on my social media. I have 1.7 million subscribers on YouTube and we do a lot of fundraising. We do a lot of uh, supporting police officers. So if you want to be a part of that, connect with me on my social media. And, and when we have these opportunities present itself, you could be a part of that. Tell um, them what the, tell them, give them a couple of the uh, sites that they can go to, to reach you along those lines. Well, the, the, the main site that you can go to, if you want to see everything Tatum, just go to uh, the officer Tatum.com. You go to the officer Tatum.com. You will see everything. My, my online store, you'll see how to book me to speak. You can you can connect with me. You can, you know, everything you need is on that website. So if you go to theofficertatum.com, um, you can get all my social media platforms. But I'll just tell you the biggest one, just in case you don't even want to go to the store, you want to go to the, my platform. So the Officer Tatum, you put the Officer Tatum, you can find me on every uh, platform that's out there. YouTube is my biggest with 1.7 million subscribers. I do two or three videos a day. Um, I, and I'm I, I'm actually going to be covering the, the Kyle Rittinghouse case. I hope they're not reading the verdict right now, but uh, you know I'll be covering that. <laughs> yeah. So if people want to are interested in analysis of things like that, I have that on my channel. Brandon, thanks for coming on and bringing uh, all kinds of mega doses of truth. I really appreciate it, and we appreciate what you do. But thank you very much for coming on, and God bless you, and God bless your family. God bless you as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. There we have it, Mr. Brandon Tatum, bringing the heat. And he won't play for my New York Jets. He, he can't play safety anymore. But thank you once again, Brandon. <laughs> thank you so much. He is recognized as one of America's most dynamic orators and, and is a highly sought after speaker, motivator, activist and preacher of the gospel. He's worked in the financial sector for 25 years is a former NAACP president and a Tea Party founding father director. He served as a minister for nearly four decades and has been on a missionary trip in the Amazon. He hosted his own radio show, appropriately named the C.L. Bryant Show, is the co-producer of a fine documentary, Runaway Slave, and he's also a senior fellow at FreedomWorks. 
Happy to bring to the show Reverend C.L. Bryant. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me on. Glad to be here. Uh, and I'm I'm elated to have you here, Reverend Bryant, because you have so much experience in so many areas. And one of the one of the things that I want to ask you right away has nothing to do with the topic about black conservatives. We just had a show, God and Government, Do Religion and Politics Mix? The guests were Pastor Jack Hibbs, Bishop E.W. Jackson, Star Parker, Virginia Prodan, Nick Searcy, and Dr. Steve Turley. I would be remiss without asking you about that particular topic. As a man of God, and I know you understand this topic, do religion and politics mix? They absolutely do. In fact, in, if a preacher does not understand that religion or faith and uh, politics must, in fact, walk hand in hand, he is not fulfilling the true mission of Christ. Uh, Christ came to set the captives free. And when in doing so, what he had to do at his point in time was to take on the Sanhedrin Council, which was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that you've heard so much about in your churches. Uh, and they were the political power and they were the religious power and structure of that day. And when Jesus came, what he did, he took them on head on. It got him crucified. And unfortunately, what uh, many pastors are afraid of is the crucifixion. But taking up your cross daily sometimes might also incur you to suffer persecution. And so many pastors don't get involved in politics because there is a certain persecution and crucifixion that can go along with it. But what they don't realize is that without that crucifixion, there can be no resurrection of our nation. There cannot be a resurrection of their people in their congregations who face the Caesars of this world on a daily basis. And uh, the message must be to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and the things to God that are God's. And that's the message, I think, that is missing from the pulpits of our country today. Right. And it seems to me from listening to you that you have found a balance between the two, a balance between what you're doing for the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and what you're doing to establish God's kingdom here on earth. So that that was a wonderful answer. Thank you very much. Moving on to the topic, uh, you know, as a black man, as a born again Christian, so I identify myself as a believer. Uh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I identify myself as a believer. That is my race. I'm born again, my race. I am still black. But so Jesus defines me, but still I have to live in this country. So my question that I still grapple with, why do blacks have a problem with conservatism? Because most blacks claim to be pro-life. They claim to be pro-marriage. They claim to be anti-communist. So what's the deal? This is the deal, Gary. Uh, most blacks are indeed uh, conservative in their core. And uh, I, when I made the film Runaway Slave, um, which is an award-winning film, uh, last people that were the, la the the people that were in it were Dr. Thomas Sowell, Andrew Breitbart, uh, you name them, uh, they were in it. And uh, this is the thing that I believe is uh, most important 
for us to understand is what came out of the mouth of comedian, uh, late great comedian uh, Dick Gregory. When I was interviewing Dick for the, the movie, and he appears in it, uh, Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson as well, Julian Bond, they all are in this film. When, when, when I asked Dick about black conservatism, his words were this, there's no such thing. And so I was standing there interviewing a person who thought that I was a figment, Gary, of my own imagination. This is what has happened to black folks. We have been duped. We have been hoodwinked and swindled out of the birthright that those who stood on the front line of the civil rights movement, like my parents, who were contemporaries of Dr. King, uh, when they bought into the great society of Lyndon Johnson, they also bought into a storyline that somehow they would have to be mascots and pets of the Democrat Party. And it was a comfortable thing because uh, they felt as though somehow affirmative action and all of that would get them out of the malaise that we had been in for a long time since Reconstruction. But casting aside that, our grandparents, uh, the marriage rate among black folks was higher than the marriage rate of white people back in the 20s and 30s and even into the 40s. But around the 50s, that began to change. Uh, it was shameful to have uh, a child outside of marriage in the black community. And that's something that has been certainly forgotten. Uh, and it was certainly not uh, uh, something that was acceptable in any family for your child to be in reform school or go to jail. But now we call that going to jail and having children outside of wedlock and not taking care of your family a part of being black and culturally. And that is not really the case at all. And uh, that is the image, though, Gary, that the media does portray of black people. And unfortunately, our young people are buying into it more and more every day. Yeah, this is this is a shame, uh, Reverend Bryant. So before we go any further, I, I think what we have to do is what I tend to have to do with most black conservatives, because a lot of people will be listening and you, you're they're thinking sellout. They're thinking this, that and the other thing. They're thinking all these names they want to call us. And they think, well, that that guy never got it. But you see what they have to understand, we all have a background and we all have a testimony and there are very few black people I've ever interviewed that started out this way. We all at one point were Democrats and somewhere along the line got red pilled. So please give them your background before we go any further and then we can get into why you believe what you believe today. Gary, I think the, the last thing any true black conservative is, is a sellout. Uh, he may have sold out the fact that he was no longer going to be uh, in bondage Amen. to uh, the Democrat Party. Maybe sold that out uh, in order to become a champion of the people. And the one thing I have noticed among true black conservatives, and, and notice I use the word true black conservatives, because there are Al Sharptons on our side of this fence as well, who do this, not because it's right, but they do it because it's popular and they want to make a name for themselves and that type of thing. But the fact of the matter is I've seen both sides of this street. I was the two-term president of NAACP in Garland, Texas over 30 years ago. The magnet schools that exist in Garland, Texas today happened uh, under the creation of my watch. They were created under my watch as president. 
of the NAACP. I love my people. I love black folks. I love people, period. I love Christians in particular. But I particularly love uh, uh, the people that I come from, and I love them enough, Gary, to tell them the truth about the situation that we face in this country. And the truth about facing it does not come through the Democratic Party. I tried that, and I found that uh, uh, this has not worked. And since we have tried this for over 60 years, my message, Gary, is to simply tell everybody that we should at least try something different and see how that works for us. Because the same rhetoric that we have followed over the last 60 years, it, it simply is not working out for us, period. Yeah, I I hear you. Now, I, I need to ask you something because you brought up Al not so Sharpton and are you saying that Al Sharpton considers himself a conservative? Because to me, Al Sharpton is a Marxist at best. Communist Al Sharpton, yeah, Al Sharpton is a Marxist at best. However, Al Sharpton's roots are not Marxist. Al Sharpton's uh, upbringing, uh, I'm talking about his grandparents now. I understand. He's not Marxist. But Al Sharpton, for whatever reason, has, been allowed, has allowed himself to be used as a pawn. And when we talk about the Uncle Toms of America, you're talking about black liberals who, in fact, lead black folks down the garden path of pie in the sky. There is none. And there certainly isn't any equal outcome that they want to call equity now. Uh, if you want to see equity, look at the worst project in your neighborhood or your community. Look at uh, the, the worst uh, jobs that you see out there in your community. And you'll see the equity that liberalism and conservatism does, in fact, bring uh, to you. When you look at uh, the Uncle Toms in this country, you look at the Black Caucus on the Hill here in Washington, D.C., where I am now. They are the ones who continually feed a white liberal line of trash to black people to placate them and to pacify them. But I have a feeling, Gary, the good news is the, uh, the ointment that they've rubbed on black folks for so long to soothe whatever pains we felt we might have had because we felt that things were un unequal. Uh, it, that salve is no longer working. We're becoming immune to it. And Joe Biden, I have to tell you, is the major cause. And the Democrat Party, Kamala Harris, the whole shot, they are part of an awakening that is happening in this country. And I'm really glad to be a part of the other side of that coin, welcoming in those who would flee the tyranny, the bondage of that type of slavery that we have been uh, locked into for over the last 60 years. Amen to that. And I want to go back to Al Sharpton again for, for a reason, because Al Sharpton is reminiscent of something that this show has been talking about for a year, how movements get started, the Marxists come in and they change it to their thing. For instance, Colin Kaepernick, it starts out with, OK, there's something going on with the police, but it ends up with 
All police are racist. The flag, America's racist. Let's overturn the Constitution. Michael Brown starts out with one thing. George Floyd starts out. Then, then it just morphs into the founding fathers are racist. Let's get rid of the Constitution. Al Sharpton was back there in the day during the civil rights, marching and everything. And all of a sudden now, where is a man that calls himself a reverend? Where is forgiveness? Where is the love of Christ? Where is trying to create unity through a bond in Christ or unity through forgiveness for past sins? There's none of that because it's just moved on to a total Marxist agenda, which is culminating now in critical race theory. I just dropped the mic. Do your thing. Our people represent 12.8% of the population, Gary. That's it. Most, most folks, even our folks, think that we represent more. White folks in particular think that we represent more of the population than we do. What does that mean? Why does that figure important? It's because the strength of critical racism, uh, race, uh, critical race theory, uh, is, is based in the fact that blacks everywhere in America are experiencing uh, police brutality and all this type thing. Well, the fact of the matter is uh, there are more black women in this country than there are black men, which means that that 12.8% is now cut uh, sharply in half. Uh, That means that black men represent roughly 5% of the American population, which means that black young men represent maybe half of that, which is about three, two and a half, three percent of the American population. Black men who get in trouble in this country represent even less than that and come into contact with the police. And so you're talking about maybe right at 1% of the American population who are black, who actually have any contact ever with the police. However, this has been blown up into such a way that you think that black folks can't walk down the street anywhere in America without being chased down by some cop who's wanting to beat them up and kill them. That is simply a lie, and it's a mathematical lie. But the the fact that we are so uninformed uh, brings us to those types of conclusions. And you have people, like you mentioned, Al Sharpton, who help us remain in that particular lane because they do the thinking for you. It's time now for black people to understand that uh, we have to see America for who we are in America and what we bring to the American table. And that is the content of our character as individuals. That's what Dr. King was trying to get across to all Americans when he said that we should be judged by the content of our character. That's what you bring to the American table, regardless of what your color is. Well, critical race theory is antithetical to content of character because it's saying you're born black, you're a victim, you're born white, you're an oppressor. How evil is that and how do we fight this? The secret in that, uh, I do believe, and I I, I crisscross the nation once a month speaking to various groups. Uh, I'll be headed to Utah. I'm in uh, D.C. now and then I'll be back up in uh, North Carolina. the strength of uh, this is what this is the secret of their sauce they want to enslave both the young black kids and the young white kids with this type of rhetoric to each other therefore making both of them their bond servants in this idea you have white kids thinking that somehow they're bad people because their grandfather owned my grandfather 
or black kids thinking that they can never get ahead in this country because their grandfather was owned. Well, Frederick Douglass, who is uh, one of my uh, modern-day or um, former-day, latter-day heroes, or, or former-day heroes. Same here. Uh, Frederick Douglass, if anyone, is an example of putting forth your content of character. It is Frederick Douglass. In a time when uh, certainly we're not as good as the times that you and I live in, Gary. I'm proud to be an American. I think it is the greatest nation on the face of the planet. My father was a World War II veteran. My grandfather was a World War I veteran. And my great-grandfather fought in the Spanish-American War. And so I have uh, an investment in this country through them. And it is my right, it is my duty to defend it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Reverend Bryant, back in 2012, not back in the day, but a little while back, you spoke at a conference Black conservatives in America, and you brought up two points. Quote, if you take for granted liberty and freedom, they can and they will leave you. And your second quote that I remember, quote, we as Americans must understand that we have enemies all across this world and they hate us because we're free. They hate us because we have the right to pursue liberty and freedom. My final question to you, plea or, or plea to you, please address all of America about why we cannot allow them to go down this rabbit hole and take away our freedom and liberty. I'm glad that you asked the question, Gary. This is one that I do answer around the country. And I always open with uh, when did the Civil War in America begin? That year was 1861. Without understanding the Civil War and why it was fought in every facet of that understanding, you cannot understand America today. Because truly, we are still fighting a civil war in this country that does involve states' rights and the freedom of man. That is still the war that's going on in this country. In fact, our nation is about to be split in half again over those two issues, the freedom of man and states' rights. And so when we talk about uh, uh, liberty and freedom, we must understand that those are two absolute separate words. Liberty is, uh, by definition, the responsibility for your freedom. You give your child a car to drive. You just gave him the liberty to drive the car. Now, once he leaves your presence, that child is free to do whatever they want to do with that liberty. Americans have uh, recently become very much abusive of the liberty, of the, li of the freedom that liberty grants to them, just like your child. Many times, uh, who's learned how to drive may abuse that liberty. And so therefore, the freedom becomes curtailed. And Americans, if there's one thing that I will say to you, Yes, Gary, if liberty and freedom goes away, then it's gone. America goes away. There has not been a, co a country that's ever recovered once they have uh, really given away their sovereignty, individual sovereignty. So the Civil War is at our doorstep. We're about to fight it. And uh, I think that there's time now, it's time now for men and women of courage to stand up and push back against those who would rob us 
of our precious liberty in a nation, as I said earlier, that's the greatest on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known, because we have in the past understood liberty and freedom, but we are allowing a redefinition of who we are as Americans uh, to take hold, and that redefinition of gender, of family, of patriotism, of Christianity, of Judeo-Christian ethic, when we allow those things to be redefined, then we become redefined as a nation, and unfortunately the rest of the world is witnessing that redefinition as we speak here today. Uh, you nailed it, Reverend Bryant. We have to stop this right here, right now. I really thank you for coming on the show. You know, I'm going to dial you up again because we have some unfinished business. There's so many other things we can talk about. You're always welcome back. As I said, please tell people how they can reach you and anything you would like to promote. Go to CL Bryant. Uh, go to uh, at Rev at Rev CL Bryant. That's my Twitter handle. Handle at Rev R E V C L Bryant. And of course, tune us in on Sunday mornings. Newsmax. I'm your latest host. I'm your newest host on our show. Save the Nation. Newsmax Sunday morning. Save the Nation with CL Bryant. Thank you so much. And go to FreedomWorks.org. FreedomWorks.org and become a part of the largest grassroots movement in the nation. Once again, thank you very much for coming on. God bless you. God bless your family. Thank you, sir. There we have the Reverend C.L. Bryant. Everybody he has a lot of experience and he just laid it out for you. People that there, you can't support the Democratic Party. It doesn't matter what color you are, what religion you are, or what you think. You just can't support this party. They're taking us down the road to communism, everybody. You have to fight this, as I say all the time, right here, right now. She's an author, motivational speaker, teacher of biblical truths, and the president of Tarver Consulting. Now retired after working more than 30 years for the state of Michigan in roles including senior project manager, legislative and policy analyst, community affairs director, and election integrity liaison, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver now goes around the country speaking truth from the conservative side, bringing it in mega doses. She served as a Michigan Civil Rights Commissioner. She also was the first black woman in Michigan to become the chair of the Ingram County Republican Party, the vice chair of the Michigan Republican Party, and the president of the Republican Women's Federation of Michigan. She's an advisory board member for the Black Voices for Trump and many other things, which I'm sure she will be glad to tell you about. Welcome to the show once again, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me. God bless you. Well, God bless you because you're out there and a lot of people aren't able to get out there. And people like you and John DeLemme and Gene Ho and Claire Lopez have been able to get out and keep the message going because the mainstream media has tried to cut off every avenue they can. But what they can't cut off are like podcasts and they can't cut off when you get out and get in front of people live. So God bless you for what you do now. Thank you. Now. Being that this uh, conversation is, yes, black conservatives exist, it's, yes, obvious, it it's obvious that you do exist. 
Yes, we do. Most of us, did you always exist? Yes, we always existed. In fact, in fact, black folks used to be conservative. They understood the oppressive policies of the left, of the progressives, of those who closed down schools to avoid integration. George Wallace in, uh, in the South was the governor of the state who shut down doors for kids, black children. My family was born in Evergreen, Alabama, and my parents were. And it's important to note that black folks knew which political party and which values and views and ideas and policies and laws were progressive and therefore aggressive to black community and which ones were liberating and truly liberating. And so it was a no brainer for black folks in the past. And somehow we were duped into believing that the left, uh, the liberal agenda is somehow aligned with our views, our values, our families and promote life for us, but it does not. Yeah, I hear you now. We all know 8% if a Republican president gets 8% of the black vote, he's done extremely well. I'm sure President Trump probably got around 15 to 18 with all the cheating going on, but 8%, 18%, you gotta be kidding me. What happened where you said somehow we got duped? Do you have a theory on where that dupeness came from? And worse yet, it's hard to get people off of this plantation. So what's going on here? You, I'm a Sunday school teacher. That's one of the things I'm quite proud of. And one of the things that I do know is that deception is important to, to know and be weary of. It goes back to the garden with Eve being deceived by the serpent. There you go. Because the, the left has great serpent fork tongue, call good, evil, evil, good, and a propaganda machine like no other. It has been that way since time. When you want to deceive someone into believing that you are friends and that you are important, that they are important and that we are here for you. And we are, you know, we are in this rank with you and the in the um, in the military army fighting alongside you for justice. And quite honestly, there was no justice. And, and when you don't know your own history and you're being taught a creative history that is tailored by the same machine that tells you eight per seven percent of the population in Michigan to abort your baby because it's your right and you should do it. And we make up 51% of the abortions here because it's quote, um, women's health care now. Abortions are considered health care, an essential part of health care and reproductive rights. And that's a lie from the pit. Absolutely. Now, I, I proudly previously taught Sunday school, too. It's one of the most rewarding things I ever did, ages 7 to 12. And as you know, Dr. Tarver, Bible makes it very clear that there's one truth, that truth comes from God, and Satan did deceive Eve, but he deceived her with half-truths, like, did God yeah. really say you die? But here's the problem. 
And we got to get into this. The problem is, as the Bible also talks about itching ears, you will be deceived with the truth if you with a lie if you really don't want the truth. Because okay. the problem is, see, yes, so, so many people are deceived with the truth, but with the lie. But we come with the truth. We give them the truth. We show them the truth. We show them the numbers. They know what's going on, but they still vote that way anyway. That is a very, very, very scary proposition. Well, we had a 2021 election in Virginia, and the people of Virginia, Democrats, independents, Republicans, and those who don't identify with any political uh, stance or views, just voters and citizens of the state of Virginia and the United States, they decided that they will reject foolishness and buffoonery. And you can redeem yourself if you were duped before. But at some point, there is a, there is a point where you can only go so far. And, and you and I can see the devil coming a mile away. But others, when he's in your face, in your home, he's in your community, he's wreaking havoc. At some point, you're going to recognize that this is not right. And that is what we had this year in New Jersey, also in Virginia. And if you just deal with policies, let's let's just deal with policies. Maybe you have not expressed uh, religious views or have a faith in Christ Jesus. You just want to deal with policies for where you live. The arrogance and conceit of those on the left who told the parents that your children's education have nothing to do with you. When, when you have policies that allow in Virginia the killing of a baby up until the time that it is born, nine months in Virginia, when you have in Virginia laws and policies of sanctuary cities and people being allowed to come in without any proof or evidence of who they are crossing the border without any reverence for our sovereignty, then you're dealing with the people who now have to deal with it in their home, in their real lives, and three to four to five dollars gallon of gas. When you're dealing with all of that, and you're dealing with the policies that made that happen, and you're or you're living in a place of Illinois, in Chicago, where they have no cash bail, similar to the gentleman who had, and I won't even call him the gentleman, the murderer mm -hmm. of Wisconsin. So we're dealing with this this man who r ran over his baby's mama, and his bail was a thousand dollars. And the policies of the left, the progressive left, even in the cities like Chicago, in the state of Illinois, you have no cash bail, which means that you can beat your girlfriend, your wife, or whomever, your spouse, your significant other, and near to death, they're in the hospital for three days and you're in the jail for three hours because of no cash bail. You can steal randomly in California. These policies that are implemented by the liberal progressive Democrat left are killing our communities. They're causing additional crime to increase. They do nothing 
to add value to our properties. The steel, kill, and destroy of last year was compared to this peaceful protest. And yet January 6th, where they invited patriots into the Capitol, those people are still incarcerated. Still incarcerated. Right. With no charges. With no charges of criminal trespassing, a misdemeanor. And yet this guy is released for running over a woman. And so I, I, I look at this, and at some point, you, you have to know that it, you know, well as I do, that it's a spiritual battle. It's, it's a spiritual issue. But there's also practical implications and deadly implications for people who are not awake. They want to call themselves woke, but they are sleeping with what's go- been going on. But I, I am just here to encourage you that the people of Virginia and people across the nation, even in Minneapolis, they decided to reject eliminating the police force in lieu of a public safety, people's public safety arena, reimagining law enforcement. They want to reimagine everything to do away with police, let everyone out of prison. Crime is up in my city that I live in. Detroit is number two on the 2020 cities that are most violent in America. And my city of Lansing, Michigan, the capital city of Michigan, is number nine on that list. We were never on the top 10, ever, except for when they started stealing, killing, and destroying in 2020. Black Lives Matter got their fingers into this uh, fabric of our society and the hearts and minds peddling a lie, peddling destruction, peddling anger, peddling racism and fear. And so now we have to go back out and as good soldiers and start telling the truth. And that's where black conservatives need to stand up and they are standing up. We're standing up for our country. I'm not a black lives matter only. I'm an all lives matter. There you go. Because all lives matter because that's what Jesus died for at Golgotha. He didn't die for just black lives. All lives matter. And the hypocrisy is there. The hypocrisy is there. And we need to not sit and agree with nor fellowship with the hypocrites. That's what the word of God says. We need to not partake in the acts of wickedness, but instead expose them. And we are exposing them. And that's what our charge is from the Lord. And I believe our civic duty to America is to expose the wicked. Absolutely. To expose to expose darkness. And the only way you can expose darkness is with light. And the only way you can have the light, the light comes from God. And the only way that you can expose the wickedness is if you know what God has to say about things. Dr. Tarver, in lieu of what you just said, I remember when Hillary Clinton was running for president and there used to be a young black man that that ran part of that worked for her um, organization in South Carolina. His name was Antoine Seawright. And I used to I wanted to jump. I I almost begged God, please just beam me up, (laughs) jump me through the television and let me get next to. And it wasn't that I wanted to wring his neck because I did. 
But just what you just did, you brought the truth of God into this conversation. He would sit up on a dais on Fox News and, and go Bible and say, well, Jesus would want you to be a Democrat because what you, uh, talking about black people, because the Republicans, what they're doing to black people, and he always used to say this, boy, it burned me up. He would say, and Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. And he was talking about black people. I'm like, God, be me in there. Can I say, no, what you do to the least of these, you do to Jesus. And the least of these are the unborn in a womb and you're burning them. Do you ever ask these people that, especially the pastors and especially the people who claim to be Christians, but they're Democrats. Yeah, Jesus says, what you do to the least of these, you do to me, right? It's true, but the least are not black people. The least are the unborn babies, and you are helping the genocide, helping Margaret Sanger, helping everything that hurts black people because 74% of most abortions across the country are, are black babies. I don't sit in the council of the ungodly or take the advice of the wicked. And so I don't participate in those who pervert the word of God like the devil did when he tried to tempt Jesus. And, and so I get thee behind me. And that is, that's how I roll. I don't participate with fools either. And it, it doesn't matter whether or not the Lord has um, called them or if they have a pulpit or are preaching or got followers, it doesn't really matter. They are perverting the word of God. I will tell you what the word says because it is plain English red letter. It says, I did not come, this is Jesus speaking, Amen. to bring peace. The Lord said, I came to bring a sword to separate those who belong to him from those who do not. It'll be mother against daughter. It'll be father against son, neighbor against neighbor. And so when people want to misquote, misrepresent, and, uh, and do those things that are heresies, for the Lord, an abomination to the Lord. They think that God is so love. God is love. God is love. But God hates sin. And he hates those that shed innocent blood. There you those go. that shed innocent blood. And, and I'm telling you, Revelation 21 and 8 says, the unbelievers, the whoremongers, the idolaters, and all liars are going to the lake of fire. All liars. That scripture, Revelation 21 and 8, all liars. And so when people are lying to the American people, which is the left, the progressive left, to discount what you see, discount what you know to be true, that is the enemy and it's witchcraft and it's evil. But the truth tellers must go out. We need to have a, a reawakening. I read the Constitution and I've also read the Declaration of Independence. It preceded the Constitution. And in the middle of that, it says, let facts be told, be submitted to a candid world. Let facts be submitted to a candid world. And they proceeded to talk about the tyrants and tyranny. And these were men of God as well, who trusted in the Lord, who came to this uh, Americas for freedom, religious freedom in particular. But they outlined the tyrannical rule of the government, and it is eerily similar to what we see today from the left, the progressive liberal Democrat snowflake left. That is what we're seeing today. And unfortunately, that is what we're dealing with today. 
And so the facts be submitted should be submitted by our lips. Our black conservative voices need to be truth tellers out there and not just truth tellers of just the word of God, but the illumination of the word of God and the truth concerning how we are living today. We need to be sure that we are telling the truth. The policies of the left are wicked and vile. They're wicked and vile. And, and because they're wicked and vile, they mean no good to our communities whatsoever. And so we are, are a group of a, a soldiers armor, army and that are battle ready. I'm battle ready. I know that you are battle ready. I was speaking in Maryland with John DeLemme and that was questioned was, are you battle ready? And so I believe that we are. Dr. Tarver, since you were with John DeLemme, not only in Maryland, but I know you were down there with him in Florida. Did he give you that sword he carries? Oh, I, I had a sword um, with him and I, I posed with him. We had I saw it. A I saw it. Time with these uh, wonderful swords. But it's we are battle ready. Well, it's plastic. It's not real. So don't don't go on the FBI. Yeah, you got to be <laughs> battle ready. So, so yeah. And, and see, but again, we're to expose not only the forces of darkness, but also the evil, the evil, those speaking evil also to yeah. got to be exposed. That's why I was asking you these parents. See, because a lot of blacks that go to predominantly, see, I'm born again. I'm not black. Yeah. I was black. I'm born again. I belong to Christ. Yeah. Okay. So there is no male or female, no rich or poor, no black or white. And see, and that's what cultural Marxism is. They divide rich against poor, black against white, male against female. And then they create, the, create this war and then try and ride in under socialism to put it all back together. But they got to get rid of Christ first. So in yeah. a lot of predominantly black churches, these pastors will preach all the right things about abortion and same-sex marriage and shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And then at the end, they will say, they'll bring all their Democratic Party friends up to the front of the pulpit and say, these are the people you should vote for. Those people have to be exposed. They have to be exposed for, so because they are the gatekeepers and the people that are hurting the people in. And they're listening to that message. I understand it's itching ears, but that to me is one of the biggest problems, the quote, and there's, there's no such thing as a black church. There's a black church of Jesus Christ. The church That's is inside right. your heart. You belong to Christ. He comes on the inside of you. You are the church. The church is in a building. So people go into these, these buildings, listen to these pastors that are, regardless of their black or white, they're, they're, they're on the take by the Democratic Party, and they're being they're they're being led astray, and boys, it's hard to reach them. But we have to try, right? We we have to preach Jesus and Him crucified. It, we have a sin problem in America, and we have a a issue of I, I said that when we are dealing with those who don't know any better, and versus the wicked, we need to preach to the lost, those who are suffering as a result of the wicked. Instead of um, trying to um, align with it and agree with it, we cannot right. agree with those who are wicked. And so what we our balancing act is this. We have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only way we have life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness Amen. is through Christ Jesus. And then we have to battle the enemy and, and his minions. 
and his followers. And so that's what we are, are charged to do, doing battle with the enemy in the name of Jesus and addressing it through light and through truth, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And if we do not bring in the spirit of the Lord, Jesus, unashamedly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Shamedly and speak to the wickedness and to the to those who are perpetrating that wickedness truth, then we might as well, we will not have a witness to the lost. And that's that's the that's what we're dealing with right now. So I know that there are pastors who are lost. I don't know that they have been born again. I know that they may be preaching, but I don't know if they've been born again. But I don't have time to deal with God's people who are rebelling against him, who have become carnal in their message, who have decided to preach a gospel other than that which was taught to them. And so that is what uh, I, I'm dealing with right now. I, I, I am going through the masses of people mm -hmm. because a lot of people are not going to churches. Some right. churches are not still even open after this pandemic. And so we are dealing with people who are unchurched or who have been churched and now are alone trying to do Facebook religion. And, and it's not working for them. And they are vulnerable to hearing what they are hearing. And they're scared instead of being fearless. And they're easily led because you're telling people, if you don't take the jab, you're gonna lose your job. If you don't take the jab, you can't go and see grandma. If you don't take this and do that, that is where we as a people, black conservatives must stand up in our community and, and talk about those things that are important to us and those things that are, are vital for life. And, and we need to preach it, Amen. teach it and model it. And that's what's going to be helpful and model it. I, I self-identify as a child of the living God. Amen. That's, that's who I am. You know, amen and, to that. And people, you have to understand something, because I know there's some people uh, who are saying, well, why are they bringing Jesus into this? And why is she talking and Gary talking so much about Christ and about truth and everything? I, I don't mix religion and politics. You got to understand something, people. She brought it up. When Jesus died on the cross, when he died on the cross, that broke the bonds of sin. That's the only thing that could have ever broken the bonds of sin from the fall of mankind in the garden. So what that did, that gave us an opportunity through Christ to live free. Because of his sacrifice, that allowed the United States, because the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and everything that those founding fathers put together was based upon Judeo-Christian values, we are the only nation that was ever born free. We were yes. born to be free. That freedom free. could have only came from Jesus' sacrifice. That's how the two go together. That's why the left, if you notice, is always trying to tell you religion and politics don't mix. Religion and politics are completely intertwined because God ordained and created government, and a government without God is destined to fall. I hope you understand that, people. Dr. Tarver, please tell people how you became a conservative. I kind of asked you a little earlier you know, but we always like this, you know, because I don't know if Lansing yes. is the bastion of conservatism because yes. most black people grow up liberal 
and they have to find their way and get red pilled. No, I, I, I did not get red pilled. My parents were from Evergreen, Alabama, born in the early 1920s. My father came up here after my uncle was lynched by the Democrat Ku Klux Klan mm. in Alabama. And they raised children, and I'm the youngest of 10. They were Republicans. They understood which party stood in their way from freedom and progress and from the Lord. They understood which party worshiped at the at the altar of Baal. They understood which party were killing black folks. They understood which party stopped for integration. They understood which party. My parents did. So my father fought in World War II. They're uh, buried right now at Fort Custer here in Battle Creek, Michigan. And they were uh, lovers of the Lord and of their country and of their children. And I will tell you that spoke louder than any red pill could uh, happen. When I became an adult, I decided that I wanted to get engaged in politics. I wanted to make sure I was joining the right party, my parents' party or, uh, or the Democrat party. So I did some research even some 30 years ago looking for the platform, the published platform for both parties are out there. It says, this is what we believe. This is what makes you a Republican. So anything else that's out there that people say they're Republican, but they support anything outside of the platform, they're not a Republican. So I decided to do the research. I, I knew definitively that I was a Republican and could justify it even till this day. I've read every platform since then everything that was published by the Republican Party to make sure it was consistent with my views, values, and with the Lord. And as a result, I decided that I could align myself as a child of the living God, I could align myself with a political party called the Republican Party, because I have read what they believe. And so what the liberal left believes, people call themselves Democrats. They have no idea what they believe. They have no idea what their party stands for. They have no idea that their party is warring against them, black folks, warring against you. And their policies are going to uh, establish themselves to steal, kill and destroy and destroy black folks. We are on a hit list, according to the Democrat platform that that is published in 2020. And so I encourage your listeners to read both of them, read them both and get to know which party you want to align with. And so I knew that I was a Republican. I knew my parents were Republicans and anyone else in my family who wants to go astray, go astray if you want to, but know where you align, know who you are aligning with. Every, every organization has a mission statement. It has a statement. Every church has a, this is what we believe statement. And so I encourage everyone to do that before they join anything in any venture, be well informed. And so I was glad that I did that myself. I was glad I was able to understand the platforms of both political entities and to be able to speak intelligently on why I support one over the other. Many people do not, and they talk off the top of their head, but I will tell you it's important to know what you align with and who you're aligning with and too often you've gotten into these situations where I see black Republicans who are pro-life standing with the devil himself 
at a platform that wants to kill babies in the womb. And so I, I can't stand with them. I can't agree with them and I can't align with them. I'm going to stand with the Lord and agree with the Lord. And I'm going to agree with a party that agrees with the Lord. And so page nine of the Republican platform is a very important page to read. It talks about we are the party of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and that there are certain laws that are man-made laws and there are certain uh, laws that God has instilled. And if we pass any law, any rule that comes in conflict with God, God shall prevail. That's in the Republican platform. And I want to that. I want people to read that. We have a stupid clause in our platform that says if we do anything that comes against God, God's laws, sovereignty, his ways, his word shall always prevail. And that's in the Republican platform. So I encourage your readers, page nine, people, paragraph one, read it so that you'll know why I'm aligning with the conservative movement and why I why the conservative movement is the best way to go. I'm right there with you, and I want to take it one step further. I want to take what she just said, read both parties, read what the Republican Party platform is, read what the Democrat Party platform is, and then I want you to double down, people. Then go to the Communist Party USA platform and read their platform, and you're going to, if you don't already know this, be surprised that the Communist Party USA platform and the Democratic Party platform align. What the communists are pushing today, the Democrats will be pushing tomorrow. Don't believe me. Don't believe Dr. Tarver. Check it out for yourself. Dr. Tarver, please tell people how they can reach you. And is there anything that you would like to promote? Absolutely. I have two books. One is for a Christmas book. It's a children's book. Jesus, who is Christmas, is born. Jesus, who is Christmas, is born. It's available on Amazon.com. You just put in Jesus. Who is Christmas is Born by Dr. Linda Lee Tarver. I also have another book. It's a devotional. It's called Died in the Wool, D-Y-E-D, in the Wool. Died in the Wool, it's a quote from Frederick Douglass. He said, I'm a Republican, a black, died in the wool Republican, and I won't belong to any other party but the party of freedom and progress. So Died in the Wool by Dr. Linda Lee Tarver. It is a great devotional. It talks about women in the word of God. And you, any woman, would be so young or old would be moved by this. So I, I love that. And I'm available uh, via my website at lindaleetarver.com. That's lindaleetarver.com. Well, Dr. Tarver, thank you for coming on again and dropping mega doses of truth, which you always do. Truth and light, because truth will set us free, people, but it's the truth you know that'll set you free. Truth is no good to you if you don't know what it is. So thank you for bringing truth. Continue to do what you do. God bless you. God bless your husband and family. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. God bless you too, Gary. My next guest is an entrepreneur, author, public speaker in the arena of civil engagement. He's the chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, also an executive with the Douglass Leadership Institute and the North Star Leadership Pact. He's worked 35 years in information technology. He leads a collection of proactive individuals committed to developing innovative and new approaches to today's social political issues. And he lectures and provides workshops about today's most perplexing issues. 
He's the co-founder and president of Every Black Life Matters, a preeminent justice movement whose vision is to help individuals in the black community grow and prosper in mind, body, and spirit by eliminating disproportional injustices that hinder black advancement. I'm happy to bring to the show Mr. Kevin McGarry. Well, thank you, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm really honored uh, to be on your show. So thank you for having me. And and I'm, I'm excited to have you, Kevin, and we'll start here. Uh, when I envision where you live, I envision a nice house with a, a big fence around it, a cannon in the front yard, <laughs> armed guards with AR-15s 24 hours a day marching in front of the house, an American flag sticking up there and a big sign saying the dog is the least of your problems. Oh, because man. I would figure, man, you are not the type of black man they like in California. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a uh, it is a big property, but it is uh, it is accessible. Uh, and I am in California, but uh you know, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, I am fighting demons 24, 24, seven, 365, but it's, uh, it, it just comes with the territory. I mean, it's just, it, you know, California is California. I've been born and raised here. So it's, uh, you know, you just kind of get used to, uh, the craziness and none of the attacks that come my way are really personal. It's just we have to deal with the cultural stuff, you know, and it's just it's just constant. It's just so it's just so crazy. The kind of stuff that we have to deal with as 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 uh, families and as communities here in California. So that's the kind of stuff that drives you crazy. Well, since you went there, tell people who don't live in California what kind of stuff you have to deal with. Because, see, a lot of people don't understand what people have to deal with. As somebody that was born black, also myself, a lot of people don't understand, you know, like what being raised in the 50s and 60s was like. Uh, you know, just it, it just things that you go through that maybe other people just take for granted, like. You know, like you go into a store and most people take for granted you can go in the store and shop. But you go in the store and people are following you around, watching where you're going and stuff. You know, they're just little things like that. But that was back in the day. Now it's intensified for a black conservative. So what type of things do you go through? Well, so in most mostly uh, just in California, everybody in general, when you go into a store in California, you have to be masked up. So everybody's masked up and, and the Bay Area in particular in San Francisco, you have to, have, you know, you can't shop. You can't do anything without a card, without a, a vaccine card. I haven't needless to say, I haven't gone to San Francisco and tried to eat and participate with, in any restaurants or anything like that, because you have to have your your covid uh, certification i mean you know it's just it's it's insane what they're trying to do and uh, i was just reading today that they they're even asking 5 year olds for their covid certification i mean it's it's uh, you know think of germany nazi germany they're asking for your papers i mean if you could imagine that that's kind of what's happening right now in uh, in san francisco proper other places outside the Bay Area, you have to be masked up. So even when you go to work out, you know, you have to be masked up. And uh, that's kind of how it is and kind of how it's been, uh, you know, for the past, you know, year and a half or so. 
And now you have your you have your enclaves, you know, certain places like in Southern California and San Diego, where they're not so restrictive, but they're they're few and far between. So uh, in California, it's it's really a restrictive, uh, you know, sort of area. Now, the schools in general are teaching your children. Uh, how to become sexually active at a very, very young age, you know, from K through 12, they're teaching them, you know, you know, very, uh, you know, you know, masturbation, all kinds of stuff that you, you don't, I don't even want to talk about here because it's so vile and disgusting. It would gross out even your adults. So I don't even want to get into that, but they, they've been teaching children here, uh, how to, how to become perverts. Uh, at a very, very young age, and they've been doing that for the past eight years or so. And so the, 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 the schools here are, are, are like that, the public schools. Um, the, uh, the voting environment here is, so I'm just giving you sort of the lay of the land. The voting environment here for the past 15 years um, uh, essentially has been, uh, has allowed uh, illegal voting for the past 15 or so years. And some people say, well, how can you make that statement? Well, the reality is, is that we have allowed, um, you know, anybody to vote without checking IDs for the past 15 or so years. We, and, and, and the way that we've done that is we've allowed any, uh, anybody with a driver's license essentially to, to vote. And, and 15 years ago is when we, or so, is when we've allowed uh, all illegals to just get a driver's license. And so that was the first thing. And then they said, well, you know, anybody with a driver's license can vote. And so then that was the second thing. And then they said, well, we don't even need to check driver's licenses anymore. That was the third thing. And then over the past two years, we said, well, COVID rules. So we'll just send out the... Uh, the ballots to every single mailbox. And so that was the fourth thing. And then now, uh, now that, uh, uh, now that, uh, Gavin won the election, he says, you know, we're going to just put COVID rules in for, you know, perpetually. So every California mailbox will get a ballot for every, uh, election in perpetuity. So now, from here until whenever, um, every single mailbox in California is going to get a a ballot. So they're not going to even worry about whether you're you know uh, you know you're you're a citizen or not. So every single California. So so it's it's baked in. I mean you know we we have you know we have fraud baked into the uh, every election. So I mean that that's just lay of the land. These are the types of things in California that that we're working with i mean this is this is what you come into here in california well i'm actually a little bit impressed there kevin because uh that you've told us what are the problems statewide and those problems go for every uh, citizen who's a conservative or christian and what you didn't say was like most people who are black and conservative seem to have these horror stories about losing friends, relatives, family members, and having to deal in the community um, with this liberal onslaught against them, you know, that you hear from the likes of Candace Owens and Larry Elder or whoever they may be. You didn't say that. So is that to say that that has not been an issue with you in the state? You know, I, okay, so, you know, I, I, I mean, you, you have family members that, you know, you, 
they kind of know where me and my wife stand and they, and they know that they can't win an argument against us because we, you know, we kind of stand on facts and we, we, we don't lose arguments on facts with our family members. So they kind of let that go. So, um, and friends, we don't, their friends know not to go there because they know where we stand. So we don't, we don't really lose friends that way. They kind of know where we stand. We don't, they don't even go there. Uh, as far as other outsiders, quite honestly, we don't, we don't get into battles with outsiders, even if they come to our events, you know, they walk through the door, they see, you know, big black, ugly man, you know, in front and they, you know, you know, the thing about leftists here, who's that Kevin? Cause it's not you. (laughs) A big black and ugly. So, you know, you, you see a guy. I I don't think your wife will assent to that. I mean, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit, you know, (laughs) but you know, bottom line is, is I don't fit the profile of somebody that you just necessarily, think that you want to just go up and start punking with, right? So, um, and the thing about, you know, cowardice, you know, punkish leftists, right? They want to pick on somebody. They're not going to pick on the biggest guy in the room. They like to go and pick on, you know, guys that 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 look, you know, like that that carry themselves a particular way that that are, you know, slight in stature and that kind of stuff. So, you know, they don't pick on me. Yeah, yeah I don't. Well, know, how don't big pick. are you? How big are you? Uh, I'm six two and two thirty. You know, and uh, you know, and can you play linebacker? My New York Jets could use somebody on the outside. <laughs> I, I, I have a stature of a linebacker. I mean, I like to work out. I like to be fit and stuff like that. I, but, I've seen you. Yeah. You know, so uh, you know, I just don't fit the the profile of somebody that you you know you look in the room you say oh that's the guy yeah yeah I'm I'm gonna punk that 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 guy there you know he looks like a coward I think I want to take him on and I'm not saying that that's the only reason but I'm just saying you know look these leftists they look for people that they could you know that they think that they can mess over and uh, I just Neil or myself we just don't fit that profile easily and so while they may have beef with us they don't they don't necessarily try to get in our face and, and let us have it. And so we, we, we try to be, you know, we try to stick to the facts. We try not to get overly, you know, um, you know, emotional with them, but we will. And we stick to the facts and we'll, but we'll go a mano a mano if we need to. And, um, and, and so we just let the facts, you know, take us and let the chips fall where they may. And, and we haven't had any altercations. We thank God for that. Um, so we don't, you know, I don't I don't have any stories where, you know, people are following us or, or picking on us or, you know, doing anything uh, untoward uh, towards us because that just hasn't that's just not my thing. And, and, and I haven't in my life. I mean, you know, when I was younger growing up, uh, you know, you know, I was a boy from the hood in, in, in San Francisco growing up and. You know, we used to always just say, you yeah, be with me. We just settle it. You know, I, I used to just kind of just love getting into scraps. You know, I used to. Uh-huh. You know. So but that's we just took care of it. And and that was just that's just how I used used to do it. And as a, you know, sort of growing up, uh, I took martial arts for, you know, 10 years. And and I used to just love just kind of scrapping, you know, so I, I just kind of like getting down like that. So. You know, I'm not I'm not opposed to it. I mean, if somebody just really want to get down, I mean, we could, you know, we could figure it out. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
Were you always conservative growing up? Because a lot of us, I was a Democrat till I became a born-again Christian in 1997, around the age of 43. Uh, most everybody I know was raised Democrat. As being black, we didn't know any better. You, uh, you ra- in, in the Bay Area, you were actually raised as a conservative? No, no, I was the diehard leftist man. Until, there we go. This is what people yeah. want to know. How did you get red pill? Yeah, there you go. So I would know. I was born and raised diehard leftist Democrat and uh, went to school and actually got a sociology degree from San Jose state and uh you know so i was you know i was that was my life man i was born in abject poverty hunter's point and uh boy from the hood did all the urban basic urban stuff that you would do and got into trouble and all that stuff but anyway, i went to san jose state got a sociology degree so i was steeped in leftism liberalism became a christian uh my wife and i decided to really try to do every just completely live biblically when we just when we decided to do that we we started to take god literally seriously at his word. And, and it was like the veil was lifted. We started to look at his word. We started to look at it, all these areas of our lives, all these other domains of our lives. And we began to see like uh, the one area that just we just couldn't get to fit was the area of our civic engagement. We just it just could not fit. And nobody told us to look there. Nobody came to us and said, look, you guys are Democrats. You need to look into nothing and nothing, nothing. It was no intervention, nothing. It was like God himself took us there and we lifted the veil and said, look, here, you guys need to look at this. And we started to look at that. Uh, she's a, a psychology degree and I have a sociology degree. And we started to look at this together and we said, look, this does not align. This is, you know, we've been voting this way. We've been, you know, carrying, you know, carrying the torch for this side. And, and this is completely antithetical, not only to the word of God, but we're, we've been voting against our best interests uh, of our community by voting this way all these years and, and, and believing this stuff. Because, you know, fundamentally, uh, voting as a Democrat all those years, uh, when you really look at the principles of the Democrat Party, we found as a she as a psychologist background and me as a sociologist background, we said this is the, the, the kind of policies and things like that really hurt us. This is this doesn't help our community. And so, you know, since Reagan's second term, we've been we've been, um, you know, conservative and and that. And, you know, we don't we don't like to say that we were told the line type GOP or I mean, we'll, we'll vote for a. Uh, a Democrat if they were, you know, pro-life and pro-Second Amendment, pro-Bill of Rights. But, you know, so we're not, you know, diehard, you know, have to be GOP. But, you know, we unfortunately, blue dog Democrats don't exist and uh, pro-life Democrats and, and pro-Bill of Rights Democrats don't exist. So, you know, so we only vote, you know, where, you know, but it's not like we're, you know, it has to be GOP. Uh, you know, it's the principles that that really drive us. It's biblical principles that drive our vote. So, so that that's really what what you know where it is for us. And um, and uh, so we've been voting that way for you know for thirty years or so. And and uh, and it's just uh, the Bible that drives our vote. And that's 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 where it is. And, and uh, I know what you mean. Same here. And, and, you know, and it's, it's it, just to show you with the Democratic Party, you know, how Marxists and socialists and communists are sliding into that. They won't even allow people. They used to allow people like Joe Manchin and people. You have guys who were or women who would be like the pro-life Democrat or they'd have one or two issues that would that would seem to cross the party line. But, of course, when it came to all major votes, they're always going to vote, 
Democrats, they're always going to go with the radicals. But now they don't they, they just do those. people. They don't even want those people in the party anymore. So it's, it's such a blessing that you found your way out. The obvious question is my background is very similar to yours. I went to Ohio University, although I mean, I, I, I majored in journalism and music. But the thing, uh, all my friends are college educated and all my black friends, obviously college educated, most of them. They still they don't talk to me anymore, but they still don't see the light. Why is it 92 percent of all black people still vote Democrat, including all college education, uh, college educated people? Why? Why can't they see what you and your wife saw? So what what what, what, what the Lord helped me to see is that this is not. Um, this is this is a stronghold, okay. And so, what we need to be doing is is this is not something that we can rationalize that with them with. It's not something that we can logically walk them through. This is a stronghold which we have to pray that the Lord Himself would lift the veil off of their eyes so they could see. So, Holy Spirit has to do this work. So. Um, our prayer is that the veil will be lifted like he lifted the veil off of our eyes. This is not, this is God himself had to lift the veil off my eyes. So this is not something that, that I did on my own. This is by God's grace. He lifted the veil. So, you know, I was able to see. So, well, Kevin, did he lift the veil because you wanted to see the reason I ask is God, isn't God capable of lifting the veil off of People who are claiming to be Christian, but what about non-believers and people that couldn't care less about God? There's no veil to lift. They're just who they are, right? That's true. That's true. But here's here's the other thing that that that's also important in this is they hold that party as their religion. They are fervent in it. So the other thing about this is that um, they'll never admit it, but the Democrat Party has literally taken the place of their religion of they hold it with religious fervor absolutely so it is not like um you know this is just a hobby or this is something that i just believe in and you know i can take it or leave it this is really literally their religion it, it actually takes precedence over the bible and 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 i always prove it to them I always prove it to them, uh, my pastor friends, and because they always say, Kev, Kev, get out of here with that. I say, no, 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 it, it's true. It, it, it takes precedence over the Bible. And they say, well, hi, uh, well, why do you say that? I say, well, because um, when you when you go to vote, do you, do you reflect on the word of God with your vote? Well, y- yeah. And I say, well, well, if you did, you wouldn't vote the way you vote if you really truly did. And, and then they pause. And I said, because if you strictly voted the word of God, that would sway your vote a different direction. Kevin, then, I got to stop you. I've got to stop you right now because you say you have pastor friends. So please tell me your black pastor friends in particular, how they answer this questions, the ones that are Democrat and claim they are men of God in the garden. Let's take it back to the garden at the fall of man. God made two covenants with mankind unbreakable, the sanctity of life after Cain killed Abel. You yep. cannot take a life and the sanctity of marriage where he took the woman named her Eve, married her to Adam, say the two shall be one flesh. So the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman, that's the only covenants God made with mankind. 
The Democratic Party is against both of them. How does your pastor friends say they can vote Democrat in light of knowing that? I've acted before you answer. I have actually, when I used to back in the day be in predominantly black churches, would see the pastors rail against abortion, rail against same-sex marriage, and then at the end of the service, bring up a bunch of Democrats and say, make sure you vote for your Democratic Party friends. Exactly. Actually, I use that and I use, um, uh, you know, I use, uh, was that proverb? Well, yeah, I use that and other scriptures that point to uh, voting for what God hates, which is he hates mm-hmm. the taking of innocent life, right? And, and so, and I say, but you vote for those things that God actually hates, right? And I said, so actually, you 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 don't vote. Uh, you you actually you do show deference towards party as opposed to the Bible, and that's a full demonstration that that you do hold your party as your religious, you know, and, and as 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 more as having more sway, if you will, than your actual you know, the, the, the God of the Bible. And, uh, so, so that, that is because they don't have an answer for that, Gary. They, I they, know they don't, they, they, they don't. And, and Kevin, you want, you want to, here's your drop here. Everybody listening within the sound of our voices. Here's the drop the mic moment when you're dealing with a Christian, especially a clergy, just look them in the eye. I don't care. This has nothing to do with black and white. This just has to do with somebody that is claiming Christ. Look them in the eye and ask them one question. When Jesus said, what you do to the least of these you do to me, who in the United States are the least? And then just drop the mic and walk away because they know the least are those unborn, unprotected babies in the womb. And for the black community, 70% of those 100 million murdered babies are black. How, I don't understand how they do this. That's right. That's right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they, 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 they tacitly agree with the disproportional extermination that a white supremacist, hateful, racist white woman, Margaret Sanger, Margaret Sanger did to the black community. And they tacitly agree with her scheme to exterminate the Negro population, her words. And, uh, and, and, and they, they stand with her basically. Yeah. With her demonic scheme to eliminate uh, blacks. And say they represent Christ. So since we've opened this up uh, on your Every Black Lives Matter website, and I would recommend everybody go to the website, Every Black Life Matters. That's uh, the website where Kevin is uh, a co-founder and president of this organization. Kevin has written an outstanding article about how does God feel about critical race theory, which... Kevin took the CRT and changed it to critical repentance time, as God would see it. Please explain to people, you just brought up Margaret Sanger. She, as people probably know, she's the founder of Planned Parenthood, and this has been like a black genocide, but a genocide of all babies. Here's the new one, critical race theory. Please explain and explain your article and why you wrote it. Yeah, so critical race theory, as, as everybody should know by now, is, is it's a hateful scheme uh, to really divide America, divide Americans, to to actually uh, have blacks 
um, hate uh, whites, all whites, uh, past, present, and future. Uh, really to have, and then to have whites feel guilty uh, about themselves and um, to be feel, feel guilty towards blacks because of what happened with slavery and um, past, present, and future. And so it's a hateful scheme to divide us all. And, um, and so essentially it is a demonic scheme uh, that really it, there's no way to reconcile us through the scheme because it's, it's irreconcilable. There's no, at the end of the day, there's no, there's no way to, to have us come together. And so um, what it does is it breeds, uh, it, 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 it is, it is undergirded by unforgiveness, uh, perpetual unforgiveness. So essentially at the end of the day, what blacks are saying is, look, whites have done this to us and you are forever, uh, racist. You are forever a supremacist. You are forever privileged. You are forever an oppressor. You are forever a victimizer. Not only you, but your children, your children's children, your grandparents, everybody who is white, just by virtue of pigmentation, is an oppressor, victimizer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, therefore, you are you cannot be forgiven, uh, and and that's the end of the story. And what that means, though, for for those of us who believe that is that puts us in a uh, unforgivable state, because what the word of God tells us by virtue of Mark 1125 is um, uh, if, if you do not forgive your father in heaven will not forgive you. There you go. So that really creates a bit of a quandary for us people of faith. It's like uh, I could I could have as much ought as I want against whites or against whoever for whatever an ex uh, an ex uh, employer an ex spouse an ex whatever. Uh, so this goes for this goes beyond CRT. This this is for everybody. If you are harboring unforgiveness for whatever, please get it right. Because this is what the word of God tells us about unforgiveness. If you do not forgive, if for some reason you cannot find a way to forgive, uh, please pray that the Lord will help you to forgive. Because if you cannot find a way to forgive, guess what? Your father in heaven will not. This is not me judging you. This is the word of God telling you what will happen. He will not forgive you. So that puts you in a state where um, eternally you're kind of lost and uh, you're jacked up. You're you're jacked up. You got that right. You got it. So, you know, so we got to get this right. Uh, CRT is demonic. It, and so we, we, you know, me and my co-part, my co-founder of uh, Every Black Life Matter, again, you can go to our website, everyblm.com, everyblm.com. We have our, um, our remnant rising workshops we do out there. Uh, you can sign up for those. And we go around the country. We, we fully deconstruct critical race theory. Uh, it's a one-day workshop. We fully deconstruct critical race theory, black liberation theology, liberation theology in general, and uh, also um, – 
we do a deconstruction of uh, biblical uh, justice versus social justice. And so we do all of this in a one day workshop. We'll do it at your church um, and uh, we invite the community in. We'll take any and all questions. It's a fully interactive workshop. We want to make sure we get all of the questions answered. We want to make sure that you leave there empowered. Additionally, if you go to our, if you go to our website, we have a resources tab there where you can get COVID resources. So you can find out exemption letters. You have your pre-field exemption letters so you can get to your employees, uh, employer. You have your uh, your where you, resources where you can get ivermectin, uh, HCQ. Uh, you have questions that, that can be answered about other uh, treatments uh, and all kinds of COVID resources that you can get answers for, uh, attorneys, etc. All of that can be found on that COVID resources panel. We also have resources for critical race theory where you could send uh, pre um, pre, pre-written letters to your uh, city councils, your school boards, uh, corporations that are woke. Uh, letters are pre-written, and you could you could start to become activists and 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 take the power back. We want to empower. Uh, people, so we can have more instances like what happened in Virginia Amen. Uh, days ago, uh, where we can start taking the power back and actually have great results like Virginia. You, you Kevin, since you brought Virginia up and win some Sears, uh, you know, who, who came here from Jamaica and won that lieutenant uh, uh, governor, lieutenant, what's her, what's the position called, lieutenant? Governor, I forgot. I actually forgotten the position that she won in Virginia. Yes, Lieutenant Governor. Yes, you Governor. Yeah. Now, to talk about delusions. So now the disingenuous mainstream media is saying because white Americans voted for her, they're racist because they that's voted so, for a black woman. That that that's so, absolutely incredible. The thing about the, uh, the thing about the governorship, the lieutenant governor, the attorney general, and then uh, we had a number of house seats that we also took over there, uh, the state in the in the state of Virginia. Uh, most of the people that were elected uh, down the down ticket and the lower houses and et cetera were all minorities. Uh, the majority were minorities. So this is this is really just a fantastic story, top to bottom. Where now we're going to, you know, before, and you know, three years prior, we had babies that were being born alive that were given an instant death sentence. So a lot of people probably forgot, but Northam is the is the governor that was saying, look, if that baby's born alive, you can go ahead and crack its neck, crack its spine. and After it's born, right. After, yeah, after it's born, after it's born, you can kill it. That's what he said. You can kill it on the, on the you know, the doctors can go ahead and crack its neck, crack its spine, kill it after it's born. Um, but now we can actually save those babies' lives. We have, you know, Virginia's going to have a governor that is committed to the life of the babies. And, and I want to run this back to something Kevin said, because I was watching Winsome Sears uh, on TV, because I guess Joy Reid went after or something. And notice what she said. She answered Joy with facts and then said, come talk to me. Remember Laura Ingram said to LeBron James, come talk to me. Yeah. Kevin McGarry is saying, come talk to us. But you notice all they want to do is hit and run. So my final question, what is the solution, regardless of race, color, anything like that, but especially as it applies, since so many blacks are Democrats, how do we reverse, how do we reverse this curse? Uh, the way that we reverse this curse is we do need to talk to each other. 
We, we, we literally do need to talk to you. They won't listen. And then but, they just want to call and yell and call his names. Yeah, exactly. How do you get around that? How do you get around that? By, by just coming to the table sincerely, sincerely and openly and saying, look, let's be adults. Let's be open and sincere about what the problems are. Let's not talk over each other about getting the jab or not getting the jab, talking down to each other, forcing each other to 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 make these uh, decisions, important decisions like whether we get the jab or not, whether we're going to teach CRT or not, whether we're going to over sexualize our children or not, whether you need to abort children after they're born or not. We need to be able to have literal adult conversations again, which means we need to come to the table and actually literally hear each other and take the time to to objectively, earnestly and sincerely have a discussion. And we can do that as adults. We need to be able to do that. And uh, we need to have the, the leftist progressives. I know they have an agenda, but you guys need to settle down and just let's just talk. Let's just hear each other. And uh, we think if you can just earnestly come to the table and hear us and give us just a little bit of time and consideration that perhaps we'll be able to come to a happy medium and we can we can we, we can move the needle a little bit and uh, have a have a just uh, conversation and a just uh, return on our on our equity uh, in that conversation. Kevin that's, and I, go ahead. That, but I said, but that's all it takes. We can do it. Uh, we just need to be adults. I hope you're right. The problem is, as you said, the key words you said, they're ideologues and they know if they come to the table, we have the facts. They don't. They're going to lose. But we got to try. You're right. We got to try. Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Please Uh, tell people how they can reach you and anything you would like to promote. Please do. So please go to our website, www.everyblm.com, everyblm.com. Again, we have lots of resources out there for you. Please go to our resources tab. We have a complete COVID resources uh, information tab for you. We have a partner uh, tab for you. Please partner with us. We do as much resources as we can. Please pray for us. We're at the tip of the spear going all around the country, and we're doing these very, very important uh, meetings on CRT and uh, empowering our parent groups in, in that on this very important subject. Uh, and then uh, please uh, um, continue to uh, uh, help us and, and partner with us in, in so many different ways. You'll, you'll find out more about us when you go to our website, uh, everyblm.com. So uh, thank you so much. Gary, I really appreciate all your hard work uh, and bringing us on as as black conservatives. We have a lot of work to do. The the very uh, the the good news is, is that we had very good returns in Virginia. We have so many more uh, wonderful states that we can make a powerful impact with, and uh, we can do it. I mean, uh, using the model of Virginia, empowering parents the way uh, that we did in Virginia, we can we can use that model and and just repeat it. There you have it, Mr. Kevin McGarry. Kevin, God bless you, your wife, and your family, and you're always welcome to come back on the show. I'd love to do it. Thank you so much, Gary. God bless you, man. Have a great day. Same here. Kevin McGarry, everyone. I want to thank my guests, Brandon Tatum, the Reverend C.L. Bryant, Dr. Linda Lee Tarver, and Kevin McGarry for breaking down and building up why we all should be conservatives. And Contrary to the Democratic Party's mantra, all includes black Americans. I hope you enjoyed hanging in with us. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. 
Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your family, and God bless America.